0: You're listening to Girls Gone Canon, covering His Dark Materials.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads, His Dark Materials, Episode 27, The Amber Spyglass, Chapters 35 and 36.
0: I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe, excited for this two chapter wow. episode. I'm not actually that excited. It is very bittersweet. We are covering chapters 35, Over the Hills and Far Away, oh god, and 36, Broken Arrow. Oh god. After that, we'll be a dust discussion. And in our dust discussion, we get we get a little dusty. We get a little spoilery. If you're here for this episode, you're probably feeling pretty dusty too at this point you're covered in it there is dust all over you and at the end of the episode we will spoil the next two chapters and the books of dust that we have read (laughs) in novellas
1: and i mean like we say this like every episode nowadays but like honestly i really would be surprised if you have read these two chapters and you didn't read the last two i really really would be
0: (laughs) there are only two more honestly it's basically the end of the book (laughs) And you know what's happening. You know what's about... You know. You already know. Like, this is... You're in the middle of the fall, right? When you are on a roller coaster and you get to the top of the roller coaster, you're like, I'm in the abyss. There are specters. Shit's crazy. That's the top of the roller coaster. And then the roller coaster goes down and you're like, wow. And then you start to get to the bottom and you're like, oh, no. We have to get off the ride. And we have to get off the ride next month. Oh, my God. We have to... This is our penultimate... We're gonna have finished OG. a series, yeah. Oh god! Isn't that amazing? Ah, uh, yeah. This is nuts. A this is crazy, series. and I can't think of anyone better to have on as a special guest host. Another other one of your hosts than our friend Haley Bowery, uh, the mother of all manimals, the lead singer of the Manimals, and also a podcaster, a fellow podcaster from Drinking Game of Thrones, Brooklyn, the podcast. Uh, She's going to come on and she's a huge Amber Spyglass fan. I am I'm excited that she has taken the time to come on for this because I know she is out there doing some rock and roll. But she is like when I told her I was reading this book because of you and the pain that you've brought me and how horrible I feel all the time. She was there for me, you know?
1: Yeah. I wasn't, I was here inflicting it. I was like, Chloe
0: Chloe, what if you read these books? <laughs>
1: but I, I'm really excited to have Haley on also. I mean, as you said, Haley's like a huge fan of this series as well. Um, very impactful for her life. So I, I'm excited to like live out the end of the series again, you know, with her. It's it's
0: emotional, so I'm glad we're doing it with a friend. And I got to be honest, if you haven't listened to them animals, uh, they they have a great concept album that is a Game of Thrones themed album that is just like art makes you feel alive again. If you like Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire, you got to listen. It's called Seven. But that bitch thinks in poetry, dude. Mm -hmm. Like she is. uh, She's an amazing musician. And, you know, I love music and I don't. You know, partake. I don't imbibe enough in making music anymore, like I want to. But she, like, always is just so inspirational. She inspires me. She comes out with all this music, which yeah. is like poetry in her veins, poetry in her blood. So I'm really excited to hear. Oh God, what she has to think about the last two happy ending chapters that come along in this <laughs> series. <laughs> and when we get them, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we have a happy you know, middle of our story right now. We have a Patreon episode coming out, a bonus episode for the Stranger Tier patrons and above, Eliana. We do. And, uh, you know, we are doing the Imagination Chamber, which
1: features a couple of new lantern slides. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we were told to set expectations more. So, like I said, it has a few uh, new lantern slides, but also has compiled for fans some of the lantern slides that you can find in the backs of the three main novels
0: yeah it, it you know like you said lower expectations just a tiny bit i guess we got too excited sometimes we get excited our we imagination get books. We don't often yeah yeah our imagination run sh- they run wild and <laughs> sometimes we don't get books so it's exciting when we do it- it's like an 85 82 page book somewhere in that span i can tell you maybe we're being uncharitable there are 17 new oh okay slides. i thought there were okay 17's good there are 85 pages gotcha and there are 17 New Lantern Slides, which are some of them are honestly like emotional. I, I got a little I got huh. a little emotional. I was like, oh, God, I miss this series. So, you know, and now I'm here doing this episode. <laughs> but it, it it was all right. It's a great book. It's a cute book. It's got like red edges on yeah. the paper. You're going to hear so much about it. We actually covered all of the Lantern Slides that were published for all of the published books before this came out. Uh, And that was a Patreon-only episode, a bonus episode. Maybe you guys will get it for the public someday if our patrons are feeling like they want to unlock an episode. But we covered all of them. There are probably, I mean, so 85 pages. Half of them have things on them. This is not, I'm not trying to be cruel, it's just it's true, half this of This is legitimately exist.
1: something you can see in the reviews of the book.
0: Yeah, uh, so there's what, like 42, 43 pages total of lantern slides, and there's 17 new ones, and they are great new ones, and it's a good place to have all of them in one place. Mm-hmm. And I do, you know, when I'm really bored, maybe I'll start thinking about the placement of each slide to one another. I'm, I'm Ooh, curious yeah. if that yeah. meant anything. POV style, like we do at our Ace free read, but I don't know, there's a lot to think on that we could add to kind of just the thought around this story. It's got a nice cover, it's a cute book. Uh, I-, I did enjoy reading it, it did give me a little excitement, a little dopamine hit, so thanks, Phil. Thank you. I'm excited about it. i hear more it. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it,
1: and it is a nice book, right? I it I will say, like, it isn't easy to find here in the U.S. But if mm-hmm. you are across the pond, you know, it's probably about six pounds right now and by that I mean like not weight wise I mean like (laughs) your currency right so like I mean go pick it up and it's nice to have it's nice to have and it feels good like in terms of the actual physical copy you know I think like the physical experience of books is also like really important so
0: it's a good collector's thing. And oh! Funnily enough, speaking of the collectors, isn't it kind of ironic he'll put out The Collectors later this year as a collector's yeah. edition of The Collectors? Yeah. So uh, that's fun. We've covered that too. We did. Patreon. Check we it did. out.
1: Check it out. So yeah. And also, just to as a heads up, the lantern slides, I believe, the new ones also include information from the Books of Dust. And mm-hmm, like some mm-hmm. of the spans of things that happened in the novellas. So if that's something that you don't want any information on, just know that. But there's like little little snippets from some of the characters in there.
0: I need some more HDM. I'm excited for the third season. We're closing up our oh, yeah. Blue Watch discussion going on. Series 2 is ending. A couple of our friends, Warren and Cassidy, are closing out the oh, season yes, over yes. the next two weeks saturdays at the ggc discord for thunder tier patrons and above we're gonna hop on uh, i think they're 3 to 6 p.m or 3 to 5 p.m eastern time somewhere in there so you can find more info over at our discord or on our patreon head over there and check it out but we've been having a blast a big thanks to our patrons for hosting these every week last week brit did the scholar which is an amazing episode the fifth episode of the second season if you haven't tuned into the his dark materials adaptation happening at the BBC HBO production it's it's just such a great adaptation so far there's just so much love in it you know as far as just yeah. love to the details and attention to the details and even if there's some stuff that makes me okay whatever tuned out for a minute zoned out came back in it always gets me back always
1: same and i i mean like you said i think you can tell that there is a love of the source material, right? Like, obviously not everything can be adapted one-to-one. I think that's just, that's the nature of different mediums. And also the times have changed, right? Since these books were first put out and all these. I mean, there's a lot of things that, like, factor into it. Plus, we had COVID, etc. during the production of season two. But...
0: They adapt to all that. They adapt
1: to all of it. You can, I, I think what matters to me is, most of all is you can tell that the people love it right like even if it's imperfect Mm -hmm. i mean as the series teaches us maybe love can be a little imperfect sometimes and
0: so how could you say (laughs) such a horrible thing to me um because i Uh... wanted to
1: start the the hurtfulness early but i mean like you know there's that and like i feel like you can sometimes tell with some adaptations right you can tell that Mm -hmm. they're like it's okay but like they don't they don't love the material right there's a cynicism mm. behind it and this one doesn't have that
0: and you can see in some series where they love it too much you know like where it's like okay mm, we read that chapter we read that chapter we get it mm-hmm. <laughs> and this but there's a happy beautiful medium where all things are balanced as they should be right mm-hmm. right in the very middle that you can teeter between and i would say this is much closer to the middle than it is to you know being too much or too little so it's just right if yeah goldilocks were here wait lyra is lyra is depending on you know the version <laughs> genetics yeah whatever genetics you want to believe people's hair <laughs> changes as they get older too i was a toe head what Did does that, that mean that
1: i've that never your heard hair this It's so
0: light that it's the color of the underside of your toe oh that's hilarious And my toe, baby girl, it was milk white, let me tell you. And so my hair was light. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. We're weirdos. Yeah. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I don't get cool traditions, okay, Eliana? I get like spaghetti and like, I don't know, toes. (laughs) Toes? God. God, I don't want that. (laughs) I don't, she doesn't like the underside of men's feet. Keep
1: your culture, bitch. I was thinking of what's what's her fucking name? Uh, Deborah. Yeah, Deborah. Remember, she's they're all like Deborah Vance is like the other side
0: of people. Anyways, that's me. It's a mood. It is a mood. I don't want to see it. I mean, it's just the color. Um. All right. (laughs) Let's let's jump into chapter thirty-five. I'm. I don't want to, man. It's really. Here's some sad fucking. Anyways, chapter thirty-five. Over the hills and far away. Before I can even let you put us in the poem, Eliana, I'm going to stop us. I'm going to stop us right there. (laughs) This is going to be a long episode. I have some thoughts on this chapter being called Over the Hills and Far Away. First of all, bittersweet. We all know that. We all know that. Over the hills and far away has a couple origins, right? When you think about that phrase, there are a couple places that could come to mind, like the super traditional British song, uh, dating back to like the late 17th century. There are a couple different versions, like one from Witten Mirth or Pills to Purge Melancholy. And uh, different plays have versions of it, like John Gay's Beggar Opera of 1728. It was written in the Napoleonic era when the British went against the French. A very big war. You may have heard of it. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. And so, you know, I could see where Pullman could be inspired by that alone. Uh, a huge mm-hmm. British traditional song that he likely heard growing up. And, you know, Lyra and Will did just go up during the war against the authority
1: and actually mm. killed
0: him with kind. He Killed him with kindness. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Good kids. But also... I'd like to suppose a second inspiration. A second source. This is a little alt of me. This is a little... Oh, Chloe. She's she's shaking things up. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin also likely wrote Over the Hills and Far Away as an homage, right, in title ah. to Over the Hills and Far Away, the traditional British song. Huh. But the song that they wrote Describes the adventure of the hobbits, right? The adventure they embark on and come back from. Interesting. Back from. Yeah, and Wait, it's like inspired really by Jimmy Page. Really, really, really? literally. Hmm. Yeah, um, actually, a lot of Led Zeppelin's music has J.R.R. R. Tolkien roots. Mm, I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Railroad. A lot Tolkien. Of I made up that first John name. Oh, <laughs> my God. oh, Eliana. Anyways, Jimmy Page is also, uh, a lot of his songs are rooted in his Celtic ancestry. Hmm. And they wrote this song in Wales after they came back from a really grueling U.S. tour. It was like a really rough tour. It was not fun for them. So they came back and they actually started writing again. And they were like, oh, let's write this song. Uh, We talked a little bit about some Lord of the Rings stuff over at our Song of Ice and Fire podcast. Merely by association. Guilt by association. We're not fans ourselves. We haven't really, Eliana and I haven't delved so far in. I've seen the movies. I've seen My the husband. Yeah. I'm, by association, by marriage, I know of Lord of the Rings pretty well from just what my husband's told me and some of what I've read on the internet from others. And, and you know, you have the whole, the Shire that didn't make the movies. Uh, there, there's some devastation there at the Shire. They call it the old scouring. You mm-hmm. Know? Uh, the scouring of the Shire, and it's just like, after war, man, Frodo goes through some shit after, he's like, I can't live in this world anymore, shit's horrible, how am I supposed to live, especially, after losing so much, and that's kind of a huge theme of what's going on in these chapters, or what will go on Mm -hmm. in these chapters, and I do think there are a couple, I, I mean, both songs, when you listen to the song, I'm not even shit posting in real life right now, you guys. I'm, like, being very realistic. The songs are very similar in just thematics. Like, the traditional song. If I should fall to rise no more as many comrades did before, then ask the fifes and drums to play over the hills and far away. Then fallen lads behind the drum with colors blazing like the sun along the road to come what may over the hills and far away. And Led Zeppelin... This is a spoken word now. This is it, Johnny Cash. Hey, sorry. lady. Oh my God. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Uh, Johnny Cash, John Snow. They Whoa. both wore black. Interesting. Sorry, I digress. Hey, lady. You got the love I need, maybe more than enough. Oh, darling, darling, darling. Walk a while with me. Oh, you've got so much, so much, so much. Many have I loved, and many times been bitten. Many times I've gazed along the open road, many times I've lied, and many times I've listened, many times I've wondered how much there is to know. Mm. I mean, that's also the chapter. That that is yeah, it is. I think it's both. I, I think it's both.
1: I could see that, right? And you were talking earlier in today, like, about how, you know, Haley, who's going to join us next week, is like this, you know. Thinks in songs and music, right? Um, as a musician, and like I mean, we know that Philip Pullman also has a yeah. huge connection, not just to poetry but also to music, right? He he's spoken about that a bit every now and then in, in things. We know that he's good friends with Kate Bush, and he, so, yeah, I mean, like he is rock and I, roll exactly, exactly. A lot of that he was he was there for some of this. Music, So I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think there's a little bit of this woven in to it. And maybe if not conscious, like just, you know, vibes.
0: Absolutely. Maybe it's because we have that school teacher Pullman in our brain. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, uh, I remember my first teacher outside of school. I think it was Mrs. Mrs. Hel- something Helka or something. My first grade teacher. I saw my first grade teacher at the gas station. And I was like, what? Yo, what? That was insane, right? Like, that's not real. So maybe that's the Pullman idea. Like, he just, in my brain, I don't immediately think rock and roll. But he is rock and roll. Everything he writes. I mean, he wrote Metatron, dude. I mean, he is rock and roll. <laughs> For me, I don't see it, like, as Because, di- like, the teacher that
1: led to me falling in love with, like, English, right? With writing. And mm. that led to eventually me becoming, like, majoring in English, was a huge uh, rock God and roll Yeah, exactly. He was like a huge rock and roll fan. Like he had like he had
0: Pink Floyd posters around his like trailer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine did too. I don't think I noticed it though. You know yeah. what I mean? I just don't think I realized that was why. I had like a drama teacher that was pretty good that I loved. My high school, I did have a few, and I only related yeah, yeah. to one or two of them. But like, I had one that was rock and roll that I didn't really like. Nothing against the dude. Yeah. I just didn't... I wasn't into him. Like, he was fine. He was fun. He was fine. Uh, but... The weirdest... Um,
1: so he wasn't my teacher, but my friends had him as a teacher. He was a Latin teacher. We are so off topic, but I need to tell this story.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and this is my weirdest, like, out-of-school encounter was... I was at an anime convention, and I was in high school, and oh the God. teacher, the Latin teacher at my high school was there, and he was part of a cosplay group. They were all cosplaying what? from... From Utina, from Revolutionary Girl Utina. Who let him out? <laughs> I want to find him again and be like, "Hey,
0: I want to talk about that time." Um, my God, I- my yeah. uh, my homeroom teacher had a Radiohead sticker, and I oh, knew, that's cool. and I was like, "Wow, I see you." And he, uh, and he taught about Beowulf. He did British. Oh, oh wow, he that's did pretty Brit cool. Lit. Oh, he's a nerd. <gasps> oh. A, a lot, lot of, of things. A lot about, of teachers are nerds, I think. A lot of things about my sexuality just came out. Ooh,
1: okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, hold, hold it back there, Malcolm Pulse said. But um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> let me Wait get through in. this chapter. Wait I'm about to in. settle. Okay, um, I'm trying to settle. Um, me and my demon are trying to settle. My me last.
1: My last one is uh my uh. My physics teacher who he lent me an anthology of sci fi short stories and Sand Kings was in that, so thanks to him, I read oh. my first George R. R. Martin. He was also a mentor on the robotics team that I like eventually joined as a mentor of, like, for the writing stuff when I like was older. And he's like, Eliana, you can call me Josh now and I just looked at him and I was like mr ends <laughs> i was like no but i i understand now why he said that because he was quite young and now as a person who's about that age i also would have been like you can call me by my first name now fellow kids and oh i'm like God. i think i heard him did i hurt his feelings now that i'm like of that age i'm like fuck
0: sorry mr ends Oh, Mr. S.
1: Ents. E. <laughs> Ents. Ents. Oh, sorry. God. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Like, like like the tree. Like the tree. Not spelled the same, but yes, think of the trees um, from J.R.R. Tolkien's
0: The Hobbit. Oh, wow. And we have come full circle. <laughs> you know what else comes full circle? Every year mm. is a birthday. It's a birthday, Eliana, which is the poem that opens this chapter. Tell me. Tell me, Chloe. The birthday of my life is come, my love is come to me, Christina Rossetti. So this poem is—it's it, a banger. It's straight up a banger. Christina Rossetti is an English romance poet. You might have heard of her before because of her brother Dante Gabriel Rossetti. You might know his works of painting, like his Lady of Lil- his Lady Lilith. Or his poetry as well. He also wrote. But I love Christina Rossetti's style. She was really famed as one of the greats of her time. Uh, in fact, she even had her own little rivalry. Because, you know, back then only a couple ladies could be famous at yeah. once. They had to alternate. They're like, ooh, yeah. one at a time. Uh, so there's a lot of debacle of who was the great feminist perspective oh my writer back then. I mean, yeah. It wasn't us. Yeah, My favorite verse of this poem that actually really illustrates for us this chapter is, and it's a little too on the nose, right? Like I can see why he chose what he chose. My heart is like a singing bird whose nest is in a watered shoot. My heart is like an apple tree whose bows are bent with thick set fruit. My heart is like a rainbow shell that paddles in a halcyon sea. My heart is gladder than all these because my love is come to me. Pretty straightforward, right? Like you hear like my heart is heavy, but it's also happy to have loved celebrated life being better for finding love with another and, and it's also like a rebirth it's like yeah i don't know if you've ever heard the song by bright eyes first day of my life i think mm. eliana you have yes 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 a uh, classic of our times in the office it actually is it is it i can play it for you well i am gonna see eliana mm, uh, that's full true disclosure this weekend mm-hmm. so i'm gonna play it for her it's official my love has guitar. come to me i
1: well i am gone to her whatever gone <laughs> canon you know it is the first
0: day of your life though like there's a lot about you know things being awakened uh-huh. in this chapter the sleeper is awakened um but that's it too right like it really is the first day of your life like you open your eyes and things are different when you meet somebody that you realize you care so much about finding someone you love changes the way you look at the world and the way you interact with the world and people within the world and I don't know, I think it's a very straightforward, beautiful poem to open with. And it's going to be a sad ride from here, so let's buckle the fuck up.
1: I, I absolutely agree. I'm glad that you brought this in. It's exactly as you said. Also, I think Christina Rossetti might be more famous than her brother. I
0: think so, too, personally. But yeah, That might just be my bias. I don't know. I've, I wasn't around back then.
1: I don't hear him like mentioned often, but I hear people talk about Christina
0: Rossetti. A lot. But I mean statistically speaking, she was one of fewer, if that makes sense. I mean, you know yeah. again, they only let like three in, so Yeah.
1: They have to rotate out, you know, like how the how the fates <laughs> in Hercules have to share that one eye
0: They share that one. Eye. <laughs>
1: So in the morning, Lyra tells Mary that they plan to find their demons and Lyra washes at the riverbank while Mary looks for clues of the man that she saw last night. She cannot find his footprints. Mary interrupts Lyra's demon search though to tell her the man that she saw and Will joins them wide-eyed and serious.
0: I love the use of footprints in this chapter. Yeah. I really didn't notice it. Uh, here, she can't find Gomez's footprints. And mm-hmm. later, you have Gomez following Balthamos. The footprints becoming visible. That, to me, is so interesting. Uh, the, that right there is really crazy, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then you have the footprint on the sand disappearing just as a metaphor in life. So maybe that has something to do with it. But here it's death. It means death. And people even, like,
1: examine, right? Like, you know, archaeological finds of footprints and stuff, so it's, yeah. it's like, it's proof that someone was here.
0: This is on theme. On yeah,
1: theme. exactly.
0: Lyra thinks that this man is likely a traveler who had found a window like Joppery was, and if he turned and left, he can't have been that bad. Mm. But Mary is worried. She tells them to be careful and keep an eye out, warning them where to go. Will says he'll be ready to cut them out to safety, and she's like, promise, don't go in the trees where the man might be hiding.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Actually, now that I think about it, the don't go in the trees, right? As opposed to go to the trees, the tree of knowledge and the fruit. But... Like, he's the devil now. Yeah. Now that she's
0: done her job. He's Satan in the trees.
1: She's a serpent telling them, yeah, not to go in there. But it's also, like, speaking of, you know... Again, like, we have... A reinforcement of Mary's character showing that she understands the children, that they're growing up, and she warns them of the dangers of the world and prepares them for the danger, gives them guidance, but she doesn't hold them back and smother them, right? She doesn't keep Lyra in a little trunk and drugged. (laughs) That's true.
0: That's very true.
1: Yeah. She even packs some food, flatbread, cheese, and sweet red fruits, and... Will wonders why Mary is so sad as they climb the road, and Lyra speculates that she's probably wondering if she'll ever go home. If she'll have a lab again, and she's probably thinking of the man that she loved, which she is definitely not. Uh, Will wonders if... I'm gonna say that. Will wonders if they'll ever go home, and Lyra wonders if she even has a home anymore, and she can't live with the witches, or with the bears. She's like, maybe the Egyptians would take her.
0: Ugh. So fucking sad and scary to think about, right? We we know the Egyptians are coming because of yeah. our prior knowledge and future knowledge that comes to us before it comes to her. We know they would help her, make sure she gets with the right people to get her back into Jordan or take care of her. But like, she isn't a grown up. She's very not grown up. She has no Google.com. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, but my first problem, whenever I'm like, how do I pay my yeah. electric bill? What's wrong? Why, why, why can't I get logged in? I'm like, I Google it. She can't even do that, dude. They don't have that. What is she gonna do? She has not a that's a scary
1: thing. How do I pay my bills? Oh,
0: <laughs> you're right. And oh my god, as I get into this negative capability state, it is telling me negative dollar sign emojis. Oh my, emojis. God. <laughs> ah, I'm just oh my god!
1: Imagine if Google only communicated in emojis. Sometimes it feels like
0: oh, that. honestly, um, it might be better at this point. it is it
1: is sad and like we see the kids talk about this but as you said right she's she's not like a child but she's not an adult right she's not a girl she's not yet a woman as britney spears would say and she britney spears also around the same time that these books came out um Mm -hmm. but like i mean that's that is kind of what adolescence and especially that time of your life feels like right you don't really know or feel like you belong anywhere and I think every kid feels like that that's why there's so many stories about it
0: it is one of those great emotions of growing up and by great I mean it, is it sucks yeah, <laughs> it's an yeah, emotion it sucks. It
1: sucks. and the next it's thing you know emotion that you feel. yeah you're at the anime convention and there's your teacher cosplay oh.
0: <laughs> my god um, Will asks if Lyra would live in Azriel's new world in his kingdom and she thinks no it'll fail she remembers what Joppery said about demons. They can only live for a long time if they mm. stay in their own world. Yeah, Asriel couldn't have thought of that. No one knew enough about the worlds when he first started. So, Lyra's pretty harsh here, you know? She's talking about
1: Asriel, she's like, all of that skill and bravery wasted for nothing! And they keep climbing, stopping, and looking back at the top of the road. And then she asks Will, what if we don't find them? And Will thinks... That they will find them and wonders what his demon will be like. Blushing. Lara remembers picking her up. And so does Will. And then we have a line of like, it was forbidden, not only by politeness, but by something deeper
0: than that. Something like shame. There is, this is a great broad theme as we get to the end of the book, right? Of pleasure Mm -hmm. being shamed. Uh, Sex and pleasure is sin. It's shameful. Loving is sin. It's shameful. It, it makes me think of this quote from the Galatians. It's 5, 16, 17. So I say, live by the spirit and you will never fulfill the desires of flesh. For what the flesh wants is opposed to the spirit and what the spirit wants is opposed to the flesh. They are opposed to each other and so you do not do what you want to do. This is propaganda. This is like authority propaganda, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> this is from the authority. Like, later we have Mary and Serafina talking, and Serafina's like, and then I realized it's all true. The conspiracy theories are true. The authority has been oppressing people across many, many worlds, and that's how they survive. And Mary's like, yo, that's happening in my world! Uh, and I'm over here like, yo, that's happening in my world! Mine too! Eliana, <laughs> what about yours? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, it is happening. It is happening in our worlds. I'm just happening here? But, yeah, this is, it's kind of, as you said, weird authority propaganda, you know, in this letter of Paul to the Galatians. Paul has some good letters, which are, like, sex slavery is bad. But this one's a pretty, this one's, like, a shitty, this is not, like, a fine letter. Shut the fuck up, Paul.
0: No. He's like, maybe you just don't know what you
1: want. Yeah. Anyways. That's that's it. So... Will asks, when will their demon stop changing? And Lyra says, I don't know, probably about now-ish. Or maybe when we're a little bit older. And I'm like, again, like puberty, everyone is different. And...
0: Oh my god.
1: I mean, it's true. That is literally how it is, right? Like... No, it is. We have a character whose demon isn't settled by like 16 years old or something in the books of
0: dust, so... Yeah. No, that's true. Everybody is different. Though obviously we see they go through an experience that probably brings theirs closer together. That's true. Aliana and I experience this monthly. Um, Are you talking about these books? I don't know what, what you're referring to. It's making
1: a period joke. Oh, this that. is a period yes. piece. Yes. Oh, it is a period <gasps> piece. This is a period piece. Oh, it was probably god. around this time. <laughs> it was
0: around this time that I got. Anyways. Anyways. Um, oh my god. Uh, Yeah, Paulman never touches on that, you know, now that we put it out there. I'm like, interesting.
1: She might not have started
0: it. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Especially because she
0: has... Yeah. Girl, if I got an animal instead of blood in my crotch every month, that would be so cool. If, like, cats just appeared once a month for me. Just to, like, meow at me. I mean, I'm into that. It would be interesting, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I I will say... On the topic of demons and settling, uh, I think mine is settling. I really do. I think by next week, I will have my demon in time, finally. Dude, I don't know. I've just I was been, worried. Like, I've been reading about a lot of different animals.
1: <laughs> I've just been doing animals <laughs> and research. I'm like, is this me? <laughs>
0: this podcast is hard it's a it hard is. podcast it's fucking it is like a life-changing it, it like we can't just change it you know yeah i mean this i can't but <laughs> my god well pan and lyra used to wonder what pan would settle as when you're young you don't really have any clue but as you grow says she's but as you grow she says you start to think it could be this or that and usually Lyra says it ends up as something that fits your real nature and she starts to tell Will that most servants for example have a dog demon because of their nature Okay, and asks how people in Will's world know what they're like and Will doesn't say it but I'm like they know because of BuzzFeed quizzes Lyra they take BuzzFeed quizzes and Will says that he's realized he doesn't know anything about this world Will doesn't know a single thing about this world at least nothing true Grown ups, friends, lovers, he's like, it would be difficult having a demon. Everyone would know everything about you and your personality just by looking at you. Yeah. Lyra thinks maybe your demon will be good at hiding, Will, like a butterfly or a wasp.
1: Yeah. I mean, Will's got a point I would hate if everyone was just like, oh, yes, you are that, and like decides who you are based on that, which, you know discriminatory, but also, like, at the same <laughs> time, I think what's good is, like, the books actually show us examples of people who have, like, the same or similar animals as demons, and they're very different, right? Like, you have both Charles later, you have both Lord Boreal and um, Dr. Lenselius as having snake mm-hmm. demons of a sort. And they're very different people, right? Yeah. So, I think that's important, and also it shows like you have a couple people with different insects, right? Like the journalist who had a butterfly. It makes sense to have a butterfly, especially if you're asking hard hitting investigative journalism questions. That's true. And also, Father Gomez has a beetle, and like he fucking sucks. Um,
0: and he actually though he is good at hiding until he's not in like a second. But I was curious how that fit in for his demon. I didn't take the time because fuck him. Uh, to think about as a demon, yeah. but I was curious. I, I was thinking, I was like, "Why is it a beetle?" And I do like great beetles. Point. Yeah, yeah, I think they're, they're okay. cute little guys. They're okay. Yeah. They have cute little butts. Do-do-do.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll take
0: them out of all the insects. So Will and Lyra walk in friendly silence down the great savanna. They could be the only people in the world for all they know. They're very, very comfortable. Lyra speaks, saying. You know, it's not actually that empty. And Will agrees, spotting shadows, birds, movements in the grass. He can see shadows if he doesn't look at them. And Lyra calls it negative capability, telling him the poet Keats first said it. And Mary Malone knows it as well. It's how Lyra reads the alethiometer and how Will uses the knife. Will thinks maybe this is how we'll find our demons. And he points out Mary's fallen climbing tree. They approach it hesitantly. It's one of the biggest trees they've ever seen. Damn. That's big sad.
1: It's also the whole negative capability thing. We'll get there in a second. It's a little similar to how Seraphina mentions to Mary that she'd be able to see her demon. But also, in terms of like seeing things in the periphery of your vision, uh, side note, did you know that studies show that people actually react more to movement that's, like, in the periphery, like, in the side of their vision than things that are mm-hmm. centered. Like, sometimes they, like, won't notice if something moves or changes right in front of them. But if it's in the side, they will give, like, their full attention to it. So we pay more attention to that. Also, yeah. um, when it comes to understanding the context of, like, a situation or of a room, the information, like, on the sides, right, the framing in the periphery is actually more important to figuring out that context than if you're only shown, like, The middle or something of an image. So it's kind of hard to explain without a visual aid.
0: This is a podcast, Mm -hmm. but I get it. I have ADHD though, but I get it. So I I, like understand. Yeah. Because literally things from the corner of my eye, I I just like prioritize them completely. Yeah. I ignore everything in front of me all the time. It might even
1: be like harder what they're trying to do being like, oh, it's in the corner of my eye, but not looking. Because I think maybe we're like evolutionarily. We look at to. that, well, we, we're supposed to look at it because if you see something move in your eye, you're like, danger, maybe? I
0: don't know. Yeah, but or that hunting. danger has, like, eroded over time, and it kind of speaks to, I'm not even kidding, it speaks to, like, the lackadaisical nature of how humanity's become, right? Like, now we sit in front of the TV binging The Simpsons and smoking pot out of our bongs instead of uprising in the streets against mm. slave wages and, you know, labor equity. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, brave you know. new, it's some brave new world shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I really like my pot and my streaming. Anyways. <laughs> was Pullman making a message here? I don't know. Probably. Libra grips Will's arm. And she's sure their demons are up in the crown of the tree using that kind of negative capability, looking out of the corner of your eye. This is like a Doctor Who episode. You haven't seen this one, but there's one where you see a monster only in the corner of your eye, Mm. only through negative capability, pretty much. Mm. Yes, but when you do, you're like, "Ah, oh my god, it's gonna eat me. It's crazy. It's during uh, series five. It's very good. It's very (laughs) good. But, Will looks to the tree, and he's like, oh, Lyra, you are so right. Our demons are there. And they go, what if we walked away quietly? So they do, to see if the demons would follow them, not looking at them. I wish we could look behind, Lyra said when they were a few hundred yards away. Just go on walking. They can see us and they won't get lost. They'll come to us when they want to. I know we've discussed the myths of Orpheus and
1: Eurydice in the scenes when people are exiting the underworld, which you all were there for with us. But this game that Lyra and Will are playing with their souls, you know, the whole moving forward, don't look back, or directly at their demons, is also kind of very Orpheus and eurydice And I think we get a little bit of a reprise about this towards the end of this chapter. Um, Also, maybe an aspect that's a little bit of, like, Lot's wife looking back. I don't know. But, like, Bothamus makes a mistake. He looks back. Which allows Father Gomez to see him, and then therefore like his footprints afterwards and catch up, leading to his own death. But it does at least allow him to reunite with Baruch. But I will say, you know, in a way, here it's kind of like their own souls are their loves in this—the Orpheus and Eurydice for them. So it—it's a beautiful story about them finding themselves.
0: Yes, it is. Well, finding something. It's very sad. It's very sad. I would actually wager that we have, uh, talked about Orpheus far too much in this podcast when it comes to that. Orpheus! It's okay. <laughs> Orpheus! I mean, you know, there's even just, uh, death or trickery, right? Death or trickery are the two paths for Orpheus and Eurydice. So hopefully we get something happier than death or trickery out of all this. <laughs> interesting. The interesting, Ariana. Interesting. <laughs> Lyra asks Will what he's going to do after all of this. Unsure, he says he has to go home. She worries about the men that have been after him, and he's like, I've seen worse, especially here with you. True. She wanted to take him to Jordan, show him the fens, visit say with the specters gone. But he has to go back for his mom. He can't leave her with Dr. Cooper because it's not fair to either of them. But Lyra points out, this isn't fair to you either, Will. And he agrees, but it's a different kind of unfair, like an earthquake or a rainstorm, the kind of unfair with no one to blame. He worries he'll be forced to go into some kind of institution or foster care or orphanage if his mother's condition was found out. And then he'd have to wait it out until he can grow up and take care of her properly. It's so sad. Life's,
1: like Will's life is just so fucking hard and sad, and like, yeah, what's happening to him, it really is very cosmically unfair, right? He's a parentified child, and we see that he's growing up because he's finally able to admit to himself, and I think that is, you know, again, showing maturity, that he can allowed say, actually, yeah, what happened to me is pretty fucked up, uh, and he can admit that to the person he trusts most in all of the worlds, and he knows that leaving his mother, right, the Dr. Cooper, is unfair, so... Uh, his solution is that he, child, will then just continue to bear the burden of all of the terrible things, go become an orphan, and then feel guilty if, you know, he's not able to take care of his mother after watching also his father die twice, kind of. So I'm like, God damn it, poor Will.
0: I promised I wouldn't cry tonight, so I do have to say a sidebar. Instead of Orpheus from Hadestown as Orpheus. Now I'm just hearing Orphan. Oh my god. Oh god. Oh god. That's like kind of meaner. It's what's keep getting me through all of this right now. Oh so you just have to let me have it, okay? Oh yeah. It's it's uh, like This yeah. is horrible. It is. It's just literally horrible. Uh, it sucks. It's so real. Right? Like, it's it's not fair. Lyra says, this isn't fair. Why do you have to do that? Because no one else is going to. it. he, unfortunately, on this fucking trip to the underworld and back into falling in love, my god, he has realized that he's grown up, and he sees things clearly, and he's like, I have to do that, though, because no one else is gonna do it. It has to be me. God. And yeah, Fuck. it's unfair, but that's fucking growing up. Ah! Yeah. Ah! This is... Terrible. This is no good. This is the worst book. I uh, I just want you to know I'm really mad at you for what you did to me here.
1: Thank you for sharing this
0: pain. That's what friendship yep. maybe is about. Uh well Lyra and Will are sharing some pain right we now. We are, right? yeah, we're sharing
1: pain. You and I were apart, you know. I mean, talking They just windows. found each other. Well, I they know. They
0: just found each other, dude. Uh, it only gets worse. Let's let's
1: let's twist the knife even more. Lyra says that Will can then just cut his way to her, and it'll be fine, right? They'll hang out. He'd have the knife. They'd be able to see each other whenever they want, which, like, actually, that's a, you know... Sometimes we're like that. We're like, yeah, we can just fucking message, call, whatever.
0: And, yeah. We have a passage between them that is so sad to me, and basically lyra asks if will thinks he'll get married he says he can't see that far ahead and it would have to be someone who understands about you know everything basically uh and that he he asks her would you get married she goes not to anyone in my world i shouldn't think and then we have this horrible devastating horrible thing philip holman you'll answer for your crimes <laughs> ah, eliotta you'll answer for your <laughs> crimes too so don't will smile into the camera Will I? <laughs> I was gonna champagne you gonna me you Sunday. Holy shit. I'm buying champagne. Oh,
1: gosh. Are you gonna champagne me this weekend?
0: Oh, it's gonna be real pain, baby. Champagne, yeah. Emphasis
1: on pain. <laughs> uh, sh- Ill in champagne. Ooh, that's a thought. That's a thought, Chloe.
0: They walked on steadily, wandering toward the horizon. They had all the time in the world, all the time the world had. I had some, like, shitty experiences dating, right, as a child, in school, whatever, boy or girl, they all sucked, and they colored my dating experience later in my life, probably because I allowed it to, and I didn't work through it in fully healthy avenues, but, like, not enough to where I'm 12 years old, chilling, after going to the underworld and coming back and being like, oh, worm, I don't know if I want to get married either, after all, you know, imagine having to experience things with another person ever again. That is... That's pretty. It's pretty jaded. I'm worried about those two. We need to get them in therapy stat. I feel like they're saying like maybe I would get married,
1: but they are also just like not to anyone in my world, and it feels like, especially with their age, it's like them being like, oh, so is there anyone that you like? And them being like,
0: I don't know. I mean, they were the Is ones. there anyone they're that the you
1: like?
0: <laughs> that's kind I mean, of this it's hard because it's like, yeah, how could you? How could you? anyone else no one else you could never Literally. like anyone else again how would they ever understand the things you endured and saw during these two books and that is like where i imagine these two kids probably would struggle in their future like how would you how oh, would you ever absolutely. do anything again you peaked man i i'd just sleep for two decades i don't yeah. know if i'd actually do things again i'm That's thankful i did yeah i'm thankful i didn't peak at that age but
1: no, but, like, what you said, like, that's so true. Like, this is a big thing to, how do you even, like, explain that to someone else, right? Who's going to even fucking believe Can't. you? Who's going to believe yeah. you? Like, yeah, I went to the underworld and, like, freed everything, and now you have to tell stories. And also, um, I killed God, and uh, my parents fall into it. Well, I guess she hasn't learned that yet. But anyways, how do you explain all that? How, who's going to, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Yeah. Where do you go from here?
1: Yeah, my mom killed a bunch of kids. Like, that was, like, her whole business.
0: Well, and that's the thing. That's what we right now are covering, right? Like, where the fuck do we go from here? What do we fucking do with our lives now? Like, you don't just, you know, wage war on God and walk away. And you don't lose those
1: connections. Like, that's. The people who were there, like, who understand, like, I think there's such an important aspect of. That's why people have support groups, like literally in therapy. It's people who have a shared experience together and understand and therefore can
0: support each other, so. But to bring it back to, like, Lord of the Rings, we were jokingly talking about earlier, but I'm actually serious. <laughs> I would never joke about Lord of the Rings. No, I'm joking. Oh <laughs> my god. Oh my god, you're joking about joking about Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh God, I need a raise. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Frodo, right, has this great passage in Return of the King, where Samwise Gamgee says to him, you know, like, well, let's go back. You know, we fought all this shit. We did all this shit. We we fought a war. And now we get to go back. And Frodo doesn't get to go back. And he says it. He says there's too much pain there. Lyra says about her father's world that he's built, we can't go back. If we go back, we will hurt ourselves by living mm-hmm. there. We cannot go to Azrael's kingdom. There is no home for us anymore. There's no home built for the saviors, right? Like they're supposed to be the fated children, the prophecy yeah. children, but there is no home for them. And going home hurts too much, right? There's no place for them now. They're displaced. They are. And I mean, like, you were talking about it in the context
1: of Lord of the Rings, but it also makes me think of, I mean, just in general, right? Like, PTSD, especially when it comes to, mm-hmm. A, in general, but B, also when it comes to war. I mean, these kids were literally in the middle of a war, and that is a, what Lord of the Rings is very much inspired by. World War One was just, like, this shattering, it, it was, like, this worldwide existential crisis there had never been a war like that before Pe- before people could like pretend more easily that war was something romantic and heroic but this one was just like dev- devastating for so many people and so yeah yeah obviously england was very affected by it and anyway yes lyra <laughs> <War>. <laughs> yes lyra asks if will will keep the knife so that he can visit her You know, you have my number, are you going to call? And he answers that, of course, he will. But then they are interrupted by the sight of their demons out of the corner of their eye once more. So again, it becomes a game, pretending to wander, like they're looking for their demons, looking in stupid places, like ponds, trees, fussing at ants and earwigs that she accidentally stepped on, asking mockingly why Pan, the earwig, was refusing to speak to her. I feel like Chloe had a reaction to this before, but I guess... Not really. Oh,
0: actually, <laughs> you actually, this a few days ago. <laughs> I think this is so cute, right? That they're just yeah. like nagging their demons. This is really <laughs> they are <laughs> nagging their demons, dude. They really are. They're like, maybe if we're really mean to them, they'll come back. It's it's very funny. It's very silly. Also, pan the earwig pan. Why oh won't you speak to me? I'm sure this was like the peak of dramatics. If we don't get this in the show, I swear to God. Uh oh my god it would know. be so
1: cute especially like now that they've brought more pan into the story like in season 2. Oh it would be so good. Imagine pan turning to like Java, like being like what
0: is she doing? What is she why is she doing that? There's a meme. There's a meme y'all. There's a meme and the whole premise of the meme is like an uh, animal on the internet in a chat room being yelled at by someone. Like, there's a verb, and it'll be like, get out, bird, you stinky borb, oh. you dumb borb, you smell, get away. I'll have to find the link and send okay. it to you so you can put it in the details of this episode. It is, like, an important meme. I'm not kidding. I don't even know, but this that's what culture. they're doing. Okay. It is culture. <laughs> Lyra is literally like, go away, earwig, you stinky earwig. You suck. Eat some grass. <laughs> <gasps> Ugh. Yeah, I don't Aww. think I know this. Movie. I'm I'm uncultured. You're gonna like it, but okay. it is like, you know, they say when you ignore your pet, your pet wants your attention more,
1: right? That's how cats are. Yes, dogs yeah. want your attention no matter what. <laughs> well, that's why you have you like dogs, and I I, I keep my cats. Uh, I was at Chloe's but- place trying to play with her cats, and I was like, why won't you play with the toy? And then Chloe, you know, it's like that's why Eliana's a dog person. <laughs> Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Why you're a dog person? You gotta let the. I grew up knowing you gotta let the cat come to you, uh, but that's also like what you do when you're feeling vulnerable, too, right? You push things away, you push people mm. away, and it's like true. There's also a little bit of fear. What happens when Pan and Kurjava come back?
1: You know that's what I so mean? True.
0: Like, what's the punishment? And
1: and we're warned a little in these chapters, right? That there will be friction. And I mean, yeah, (laughs) Lyra, eventually she earnestly also asks Will, I mean, we had to leave them, right? Like we didn't have a choice. And Will says that, like, yeah, they had to. Obviously, it was worse for Lyra, he says, you know, than for him. But she did make a promise to Roger and she had to keep it. And they also had to speak to John Perry and free the souls. I don't know that Lyra made a promise to Roger, like, upon his dying like that. But, you know,
0: that's that's a good point. It's a good point, but it, it was a promise. Like it was like mm-hmm. she had to do because of who she is, and it's the same reason why Will has to go home to tend to his mom. You I
1: know guess what it, I mean,
0: yeah. I guess that's not phrased well there
1: because it's like no in in the book because like it's true. He she did make a promise to Roger, and she goes there because the promise was broken.
0: Yeah, and she had to fulfill her end yeah. of the and, and and that's a lot tone. of like what we yeah, and, and that's what we owe to one another. Right. Mm-hmm. that That's straight mm-hmm. up what we owe to one another, what we owe to each other, like, yeah, doing the right thing 101. And they both do the right thing. And John yeah. Perry, yeah, like freeing the souls. That's the right thing to do. And if they acknowledge that they should do it, then they should do it. And they knew that and did that. And I mean, there's what there's so many adults nowadays that don't have that same that conviction you have that conviction when you're a kid that you can do the right thing where when you're adults you get so many strings attached which we're about to talk about in a little mm-hmm. bit of Serafina Peckla, maybe uh you get strings that are attached that change the way that you act and react and the things you do and the things you do are what define you right mm-hmm. so as a kid there's less of that and they knew that was the right thing and they did and I don't know, Lyra thinks Pan will be glad one day, when they die, that they won't be split up, right? She freed the souls, so they'll at least be together, to mingle together. Ah, mm. They're never going to die. Heroes don't die. Sometimes they Anyways, die very early so. <laughs> and very young. Um. <laughs> so midday, it's hot, and they find a valley that's thick with brush, hiding a stream, and they travel it until they find a spring of water, dipping their faces in, swallowing gratefully, following it until it becomes fuller and wider and they marvel at it. Lyra marvels at it. There's no water coming into it, but there's more here than at the top of the stream. Will tells her it grows slower. It gathers in pools. He nods toward a group of trees at the bottom of the slope, indicating their demons were in there, and they set off to follow the stream. The undergrowth is thicker as they travel down, following by their sound and as well as sight, and at the very top of the ridge, however... Father Gomez watches them, concealed in the grass and bushes. They look suspicious, almost seeming to know they were being followed, looking behind them constantly. He kept his distance and quietly moves downstream. His demon, the green-backed beetle, tasting the air flying ahead. She has poor eyesight, but her sense of smell rocks, so she pushes ahead, waiting for him to catch up and moving on again, guiding them. He finds himself praising God for this mission it's very obvious this boy and girl are walking straight into mortal sin. They hadn't looked back in a while at him, but he keeps low, thinking what he'll do when he returns from the mission. Hmm.
1: Side note, I just realized it's kind of funny that Balthamos never tells Father Gomez God is dead. <laughs> like, when Balth- when Gomez is like, we're on the same side. Maybe we can talk about that more later, but... I don't... I I think it's here might be, like, in a bit in this chapter, but there's this interesting moment where Father Gomez is looking at Lyra and Will, right? And he's thinking about killing Lyra because that's, like, all he ever fucking thinks about. And that he must not harm Will. He's like, I can't hurt the boy. He's an innocent in all this. And Father Gomez is like, and I cannot hurt an innocent. And I'm like, you're literally, like, hunting a girl who, like, hasn't done anything yet. You are killing her as an innocent also. Um, But I guess he's allegedly pre-atoned for that prepaid phone cards but like as we see like the fall of this adam and eve obviously requires an action on literally both of their parts um we're gonna see it in a second and honestly it does in the original story as well right like both eve and adam eat the fruit of knowledge some people consider Adam. Eve's sin to be worse, some consider Adam's sin to be worse, um, for having gone second rather than stopping through the- But, like, the text of Genesis kind of seems to think that they are both equally bad. They are both wrong. But- I find it interesting that Father Gomez is blaming only the girl, only Lyra, for the mortal sin that they are both about to commit, which speaks a lot to how religion, and especially the Christian religion, has demonized women, right, and cast them as a scapegoat for sin. We see that when it comes to, like, for example, Mary Magdalene, and Mm -hmm. Jesus is like, I mean, all of you have sinned, and I think he's thinking in his head, he's like, you all probably went to her, but anyways, um... It also speaks very much to how not just like religion blaming women in general, but and scapegoating them, uh, how sexual and romantic desires of women and girls are seen as sinful and dirty um, in a lot of religion and requires punishment and requires enforcement. Uh, whereas men in general, they are considered innocent of it. Maybe it's like expected of them, or if not, they are rarely to blame for their lust in general. They were tempted.
0: Yeah. And, and I love that you brought in just. Biblical figures, right? If you're into kind of some of those biblical figures the and Bible. interested in how, right, <laughs> if you're interested in how some of these women are characterized, there's a wonderful book. I have to recommend it because it's literally, it's just so good. It is on Mary Magdalene. It is called Mary Magdalene by Susan Haskins, uh, and it actually unwinds through history what the Bible and the retellings of the Bible, which is what we're actually reading these days. Like we're not reading the Bible as it was written because it was then transcribed by many people. And then it was also from there, you know, retranslated and redefined in many different ways. We're reading many different versions of it. And through time, Mary Magdalene is not the character that we hear about in Western culture today. She was basically flatlined into one character of many women. In the Bible, many different women. So that that like blew my mind. There were some I knew about, like some stories that I had heard. There was like a little bit of disambiguation on like, is that real? Is it not? But there are so many in there that blew my mind. I, I mean, the Bible was very much not written, yeah, equally.
1: And I mean, the context of things, you know, just
0: like as you said, right? It's different mm-hmm. in the translations, yeah. so. So to base a whole society on it and rules for a whole society on it are very interesting. It's like, yeah, as you said, it's like basing rules on like,
1: who knows if this is even what it was
0: like, um, they can't even agree on what fruit it
1: actually fucking was.
0: (laughs) Maybe we should just play like foursquare to decide who rules the world.
1: I feel like they were like, they're good ideas. It's like, what if we followed, I don't (sighs) know. Anyway. So Father Gomez is like he could please the kingdom of heaven by returning to Geneva, or maybe he should stay and evangelize it's this world of four-legged like, nice. creatures. Yeah, I actually though literally, like I mean, we were discussing them as an indigenous people like a few chapters ago. Anyways, uh, whose habit of riding on wheels was abominable, satanic, contrary to God's will? And I'm like, was it not really? God literally had wheels on fire. And they were like, be not afraid, it's a fucking wheel. Anyways, he's like- He if had he a could chariot break-
0: in this book.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. That's how, what's his face? When a-, a couple of them were ascended into heaven on goddamn chariots. Or God bless chariots, I don't know. He's like, if he could break them of that, salvation would follow. And he finally comes to a point where he can see and aim at Will and Lyra, motioning to pick up his rifle. But wait! He has stopped gasping. His demon is being clutched by someone or something and the pain is horrible. And a voice comes from the air telling him to stay still, be not afraid. He doesn't say that, but he should probably be afraid. The voice says he is Balthamos. I'm not afraid personally.
0: I'm so glad Balthamos is here to stop his colonizing ass. Yes. Uh, I love the commentary from Pullman here. He's like, when you hear people say they're evangelizing another world... That's what they're doing. Uh, so you know, this is what I want you to think about. That the Mulefa are wonderful and you love them. And what he's going to do to their world is a tragedy. Yes. Uh, very nice. Very nice, Phil. This was crazy, though. When Baldamos pops out of nowhere, I the first time I read this, I screamed. Because I was like, oh my god, what? Because he just, like, disappeared off the page, right? Like, he... He yeeted himself out of battle because he was like, oh, this is scary. (laughs) Actually, literally, though. (laughs) Literally, he was like, gotta go. Uh, And then we haven't heard of him since. Will has talked about him. Will actually speaks somewhat often of him. He's like, well, Balthamo said this. And even, interestingly enough, a great chapter for him to come back. Because while Will is experiencing, you know, being being a young man for the first time here, putting some moves on Lyra, (laughs) getting a little... Getting a little, you know, getting a little, hey, I got my flirt on. While that's happening, Balthamos is making sure Gomez can't get at them. And Balthamos told him that for humans, like, one of the best parts of being human was the flesh. Balthamos is the one that told Will that. So mm-hmm. your Will is about to enjoy some flesh. Yeah, and in a way, so they never learned this is his last act. Lyra yeah. and Will don't know he came back and they don't know they were in danger and they don't know that he took him out. Think on that, right? Like they don't know any of this happened. They don't hear about it. Uh, I'm not going to, not being a spoiler here. They just, they just don't hear about it. It doesn't come back up. So this is, you know, his last act is very selfless. It's reminiscent in some ways of what we talked, what was brought up again later on of about Asriel and Marisa, right? Throwing themselves into the abyss. It gets brought up by Serafina Pecola, Uh, So in some aspects, I can see where that gets brought up. But he was their literal guardian angel to the very end. Yes, It's not like a redemption, because I don't think redemption's needed. He was scared as shit during the battle. But his guardianship is, like, everlasting. That He chooses, I have to take care of them, as his last act is beautiful.
1: It is. It is. It's, like, taking care of them, it's also, like, part of the cause that he believes in. But, I mean, the war is done. Right? So that... Really, plays up as you were saying the guardianship, and I he was their guardian angel. And as you said, no one really knows, and I think that speaks to the idea that sometimes this heroism happens without fanfare. No one knew what Father Gomez was fucking doing. No one even like knows that he's here. No one knows Balthamus is here, but it's heroic nonetheless. Whether or not someone acknowledges it's the right, it's the right thing that he did, and
0: I could, I do well kind of- done. It like is. i forgot about him <laughs> i don't what? mean it in a mean oh, way oh, okay. not i just like mean, forgot like, that he was yeah. out there waiting yeah. somewhere out there
1: i think you're supposed to i think you're supposed to and then you're surprised you're like oh my god it's our boy B- balthamos he's like he's back he's back and he's like helping and he's saving the day and like oh my god now he's gone and uh uh anyways but I do kind of wonder how long he has been hanging around, like just how long has he been watching over like Will and Lyra and just hiding, you know, out of sight, out of shame for having run and just watching them from afar. It him? must
0: be since they returned.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: It or, does like, make me wonder, did he do other maybe. things? Did he do other yeah. things during the war for them? Now I got to look back. Oh, that's no. a good
1: that's a good question. Maybe not, because he's too traumatized, except for this one moment.
0: I don't know. They were well, somehow running through that battlefield, and me and you were yeah. wondering, like, how are they getting through all this? What if it was Balthamos?
1: He could have joined the other angels, yeah. There are a couple. Aww. Uh-huh. And <laughs> He ma- overcame his
0: grief, overcame his shame,
1: and he took care of it. Or protecting the demons, like, while they were going across worlds.
0: yeah. So meanwhile, during all of this, Lyra and Will head into a mystical, gorgeous clearing in a grove with soft grass and moss-covered rocks. Everything's magical. The tone is magical. They set down the package of food in their rucksacks. No sign of their demons anywhere. They're alone. They take off their shoes and socks, and they dip their feet in the cold water. Hungry, and more than hungry. The quote that I love from this, something subdued and pressing and half-happy and half painful, so that she wasn't quite sure what it was. Yes. They clumsily eat bread and cheese, hardly tasting the fresh food, and Lyra takes out one of the red fruits that Mary packed for them. She gently lifts the fruit to his mouth, her fingers trembling, brimming with happiness and confusion. Like two moths clumsily bumping together with no more weight than that, their lips touched. Then before they knew how it happened, they were clinging together, blindly pressing their faces toward each other. Mary packed the literal fruit. The literal downfall was that fruit. Yeah. I like,
1: I don't know, I like the clumsily, like they're blindly pressing, I mean, they've never kissed anyone, so, (laughs) they're just trying it out the best they can. (laughs) They're just trying. They're just trying. But... Yes, as you said, they they um they're following a lot of Mary's template, and they both realize, like Mary said, that they love each other, and they <laughs> kiss each other's faces over and over again. It's and they taste the red fruit, and there's nothing but silence surrounding them, and as you called out with the language, it's just a wonderfully written scene. You see all of these elements, right, from mythology, etc., and even hearkening to, as our friend Ariana pointed out, right, in in response to other stories like the Chronicles of Narnia, um, playing out for these two children and what it means, and it's just so good, so powerful. And I also love how the narration... The perspective goes back and forth from how Lyra is feeling, or like starts out with how Lyra's feeling seamlessly into how Will is feeling, um, upon like them kissing, but her with the anticipation. And the text doesn't need to feel tied to one close perspective for this. And by just quickly going between the two characters, shows just how entwined the two are, I think, in their hearts. You know, how they are just one for this. <sighs>
0: Uh, yeah it's it shows too like the clumsiness of it. it is really nice i, I like that you put yeah. it out because it is it is clumsy it is nice it's very first love it's and real. i mean just realizing throughout this chapter that how could they ever be apart from one another like they're yeah. the only people that have ever understood each other or ever tried to understand the other uh yeah. and, and here you feel it here it's finally the moment where they get to have a little bit of love in their life because they they've lost a lot at this moment. They've lost so much. And if I keep thinking about it, I will cry. So we're not gonna talk about that right now, but we will talk about <laughs> yeah. Balthamos. If, if we look back, who's we're who's lost. Fucking <sighs> terrified. Baltamos is terrified. <laughs> holding on to the insect demon tightly, trying to hide from Gomez, who's stumbling, rasping after him, and, you know, he's no match for this man. He's weakened, he's crippled with grief over Baruch and shame from deserting Will, and Gomez is trailing behind, begging him not to hurt his demon, and in fact, the demon is hurting Baltamos, it's a little shithead, it's biting his palms, and Baltamos finally lures Gomez out of the woods, but... He makes the mistake, as Eliana pointed out, of looking back at Father Gomez and steps sideways into the stream. Balthamos hurries on, but he leaves a wet print on the rocks now whenever he steps, and Gomez realizes he's an angel and he can follow him a lot quicker.
1: Yeah, we have this line of, The angel didn't reply. It was too hard to concentrate. He had to split his attention. Three ways, behind him to avoid the man, ahead to see where he was going, and on the furious demon tormenting his hands. And I feel that. It is is—it is very hard to concentrate
0: on anything. (laughs) When you're getting bit. Yeah, Yeah, actually, though. (laughs) I thought this was an interesting way to phrase it, too, with that rule of three. Pullman likes to use that, especially when it comes to, like, the alethiometer, right? Reading it, each of the, the emojis... Reading each of the emojis, or uh, the three rungs of reading it. The first version, the second version, and the third version, and how they all affect each other. Uh, And, you know, using negative capability, or the knife, or the yijing. I thought that was interesting, that the angel is like, wow, he's split in three ways right now. Trying to focus on all at once.
1: Yes, actually, though, he is. He is.
0: That's a great point. Thank you. Thank you. It it felt like something. It probably isn't, but... Every time I see three, I'm like, oh. oh It
1: might be yeah, negative capability and but unfortunately things also end
0: negatively <laughs> for both of us. He is incapable of negative capability. <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: I mean, I think probably right, because it sounds like angels might not be able to. I don't know.
0: I don't know. We should ask that one day. That's a good question. Uh And it's hard because Gomez has realized that, like, Balthamos obviously isn't going to kill him because he would have killed him by now, right? A real dangerous enemy would have killed the demon, ended Gomez's life. So he's like, come on, can we just stop and talk? And he sees Balthamos's feet in the grass, lightly pressing, and he can make out his outline. So he kind of begins a confrontation with him. Balthamos admits he's too weak to kill Gomez, and Gomez is like, it's not too late to confess, to repent. And Balthamos cries out for Baruch to help him. And as he cries out, Gomez leaps at him with all his strength, knocking Balthamos off balance. And Balthamos lets go of the demon. But the force Gomez used to throw himself at Balthamos is what kills Gomez. He expects more resistance from Balthamos's form which gives little to none, right, as an angel. So his foot slips and it carries him into the stream. Balthamos thinks, what would Baruch do? And then he kicks the priest's hand to the side and pushes his head down in the water.
1: Uh, Again, we get something that feels a little bit like Jacob wrestling the angel, which we discussed towards the end of book two with Will and his father wrestling all night. But here it, it is actually very literal, In that Father Gomez is wrestling with an angel, but unlike what happens in the story of Jacob and the angel, Father Gomez loses and dies. Um, It doesn't really mean much, I think, this parallel. It's just not really. I think it's more of just, like, inspo. but It's definitely a
0: biblical scene.
1: Definitely. Yeah. There's uh, everything that you're saying. It's kind of funny. He's like, it's not that dangerous or else he would have killed me already. And it's like, nope. Just gags, right? There's just gags because Baruch just... (laughs) Balthamus just kicks his hand so he can't catch it and then he, like, I don't know, Looney Tunes falls over and his head cracks against a stone. That's not Looney Tunes. This is actually really, like, very violent. And he chokes as he tries to rise. Um, Especially, like, when he first falls in the stream and Balthamus is like, oh my god, God." an opening and just holds him down in the water until, and he just waits until the demon vanishes, and he's like, that's it. We did it. <laughs> and, and he hauls him out of the water, lays him on the grass. He even, like, it's very actually respectful, you know, clo- except for the part where he killed him. But, you know, he closes his eyes and folds the man's hands over his chest. Sick and weary, he's, like, crying out to Baruch that he can do no more! The children are safe, and this is the end for him, and a moment
0: later, he's gone. Poor one out. God. So sad. It is,
1: though. It really is. But I'm. (sighs) He went Uh, out good, though. He went out really
0: good. Yeah. He went out of the fight, literally. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about it in the discussion, but I think there's actually a death it kind of reminds me of. Interesting. As we read it in La Belle Sauvage.
1: Oh, very interesting.
0: Yeah. Huh. Well, as we end the chapter, back in the bean field, Atal gets Mary's attention. Mary can't really tell excitement from alarm when it comes to the Mulaffa yet, but Atal is excited. She wants Mary to take a look at the sky with the spyglass. Atal says it. they can feel there's a difference, a change going on. Mary says the terrible flood of dust has stopped flowing away. It isn't still necessarily, but it's calmed. It's in perpetual movement, but no longer leaving. If anything, it's falling like snowflakes to the earth. Mary can feel the wheeled trees, like flowers, accepting the pollen into their parched throats. A Atal indicates the return of Will and Lyra, and Mary turns, spyglass in hand. Aliana, will oh. you take us out?
1: Wow, what an honor. They were holding hands, talking together, heads close, oblivious to everything else. She could see that, even from a distance. She nearly put the spyglass to her eye, but held back and returned it to her pocket. There was no need for the glass. She knew it, she would see. They would seem to be made of living gold. They would seem the true image of what human beings always could be, once they had come into their inheritance. The dust pouring down from the stars had found a living home again, and these children, no longer children, saturated with love, were the cause of it all. (laughs) They did! I'm
0: sorry! So, If they would have just kissed like a long time ago, do you think we could have avoided a lot of this? I kind of
1: wonder that, now that you've brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just wondering. Do you think I wouldn't have to like be sobbing in two chapters?
1: No. Uh, I don't know. Actually, could
0: <laughs> Could this have all been avoided? If Will and Lyra had just met in Northern Lights and kissed... If Lyra had just kissed even Dick
1: Orchard back then, or if she and Roger were like, I don't know, I'm bored. Do you want to just, what is this thing adults do, you know?
0: Lyra, if you would have just kissed someone you liked. This is a horrible curse. Does it have to be someone you like? I think, like,
1: true love, you know. Okay, so it had to be true love. Alright, so none of that would have counted then. Never mind. I mean, Roger. That was just, like,
0: any kiss. (sighs) He was her servant for life. I mean, if Roger were the chosen one, yeah, that would have worked. But he wasn't. I thought you believed in choice, Aliana. I'm disappointed. Yeah,
1: but uh, author's choice, not Philip Pullman's oh. choice.
0: <laughs> Let's he get did not choose to the next chapter. He chose Roger to die. my okay. god! There's enough pain going on. Don't you feel any? Like, don't you feel sad for the pain happening in these chapters? How could you joke at a time like this?
1: That's how I you're- deal with pain. Well, deal that's with this chapter. That's why I'm so funny, because oh, yeah, no. I have so much pain in my life. <laughs> you're a pain in my life. That's I know. For sure. That's why you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I push you to be better. So, really, I
0: should be thinking.
1: But you really should. Philip, Pullman, the broken arrow.
0: Chapter 36 The Broken Arrow in the Amber Spyglass which opens with a poem from Andrew Marvell. But fate does from wedges dry and always crowds itself betwixt. This poem is like a total definition of love. Uh, He's a colleague and friend to Milton, Hmm. Andrew Marvell is, highly skilled in prose. It probably needs no analysis, but I'll read these two verses for you. For fate with jealous eye does see two perfect loves, nor lets them close. Their union would her ruin be her tyrannic power depose. And therefore, her decrees of steel us at the distant poles have placed. Though love's whole world on us doth wheel, not by themselves to be embraced. This us as up. the distant poles have placed. This is fucked up.
1: <sighs> Especially that North
0: Pole shit. Philip Pullman yeah. will answer for his some someday.
1: <laughs> love's not whole, whole world now, but... on us doth wheel.
0: Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, dude, I felt that shit. You felt that shit. <sighs> crimes against humanity. Crimes. I'm... Crimes. Actually, these work. are like book war crimes. This is hurtful. I'm in pain. I'm a. I'm in pain, and this chapter is actually really beautiful and really painful. The demons, the two demons, move through silent shadows, cat formed across the moonlit floor, looking in at Mary Malone's house, seeing a sleeping woman. They withdraw. They move through the moonlight and find the other people they seek—a boy and a girl fast asleep in one another's arms. They check up on them. They're careful not to wake them. They clean Will's wound, lift hair off Lyra's face. (laughs) A noise shocks them, and they both turn into wolves, menace in their faces. But it's Seraphina Pecola, outlined in moonlight, in front of them. They're matching. That's so cute. I love that phase for them. Couple phases. (laughs) I like that. Ken's so excited. Too. He's like, oh my god, it's Seraphina. <laughs> <laughs> Very Lyra of him. Yeah. Very Lyra. Uh, she beckons for the demons to follow her, and they go to f- they fly where they can talk in the air. She hops on her cloud pine while they turn to birds—a nightingale and owl—and they fly with her to the nearest wheel tree grove. I love this because she tells them, you know, enjoy this. You won't be birds for long. Take this sight into your memory because, like birds. We've discussed in this story, especially like bird demons too. Like it's such a lonely existence. It seems for bird demons, right? Who Long to be in the sky and the ones that can be in the sky, you know, they see everything all yeah. at once. And when you come down from that, you know, it's so different. It must be different to see from up there as we think about it throughout this whole story. So Seraphina really tells them to keep it in their memory. This is their last moment to really think on it because soon they'll change. Soon they'll change. And she's seen a little bit into their future. Pan's like, what will we be? She's like, you'll find out sooner than later. I promise. Keep, Keep reading. Out. <laughs> Keep reading. Spoilers. She tells them a little bit of witch lore, right? That no one but witches know. And she says it's because their humans are asleep. She's like, all right, I'm going to give you a very, very scary bedtime story. Uh, she says that when Lyra and Will left the world of the dead, they did something witches have been doing since the first witch. In the north, there's a horrible place. A catastrophe happened there in the childhood of the earth, and nothing has lived or thrived there since. No demons can enter it. Witches must separate from their demon and undergo this same suffering. But they find their demons still wait for them after, unsevered. And they're still technically one being, but they can now roam free, going to far places and seeing strange things and bringing back knowledge. Interesting. Hmm. What does it mean? What does it
1: mean? I kind of wonder if, like, this is a... I'm making shit up, but is this one of the areas where the Authority and, like, the Rebel Angels first fought and clashed or something? Mm,
0: Because it's devastated. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and, like, maybe it's, like, demons can't go there because like they are similar to angels in a way and like they didn't want angels or rebel angels to be able to return there or something i'm making this shit up this is all tinfoil
0: that's interesting though because you think about the abyss right yeah what it takes to close up the abyss possibly or that people want to close up the abyss which we hear about during this so like you think that maybe these are places of devastation that hold magical power still or some sort of power
1: yeah yeah and I I know I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it in the context right of like those pre-human, before humans right um, mm-hmm. existed like those those battles. Yeah, but I also am. I'm not gonna lie. I'm imagining also the scenes from Steven Universe where you look at the <laughs> old battles places of the Crystal dragons
0: so. <laughs> That and <in> video <laughs> games. I get you. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. I've played mm-hmm. FF four. You know, Final Fantasy. Oh, 4 I was has thinking. The Keyblade Wars.
1: <laughs> Remember oh those God. those scenes?
0: Like, those, uh, yeah,
1: anyways. Um.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That sad. <laughs> that sad.
1: Pan realizes that, no, Lyra and he are not severed, but it was so painful and they were just so
0: frightened. Whoa. That's an interesting line. That Serafina and Pan discuss that that bond being broken may have been damaging, but the way Serafina sees it... Mm. They weren't forcibly severed. Like the children at Bolvanger that had that taken away against their will, she says, you weren't severed, you just experienced something really traumatic together, you'll bounce mm. back. Maybe she's just supposing, but she does seem to know a few things about the world.
1: Yeah, I do think there's something in there about like choice to an extent about all this too. But in general, like if you think about it as the overall the overall metaphor about growing up... I mean, growing up is a painful experience, and sometimes you do feel very distant from yourself, and you have to find yourself again. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Honestly, that's true.
0: It's very sad for... Life. Those for those who don't... Uh. Oh. Anyway. Serafina says... The two of them will not fly like witches, and they won't live as long as we do. But thanks to what they did, you and they are witch in all but that. Honorary witches. Like, the demons like, for What is this? Like, an
1: honorary diploma? What can I fucking do with this? Like, bring like bring you bring 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 don't get to do anything. Bring <laughs> bring
0: You've graduated. You're a witch. <laughs> the demons pepper her with questions. Will Will be a witch? Despite he's a boy? Will they settle as birds? Seraphina merely tells them everyone's learning new ways thanks to you two. But Pan and Will's demon, you must both always help your humans, not hinder them. You must guide them to wisdom.
1: Yeah, so it's funny that uh, Pan, you know, asks like, will Will be a witch despite being a boy because I believe in the second book, Ruta Scotty already elaborated. She's like, yeah, I've seen witches from other worlds, and they're like
0: all genders. So they let do they yeah they let people in now all of them. Yeah, that's which is interesting. Awesome. Well, maybe Serafina needs to be a little more progressive. I agree.
1: Dr. Linsalius could seems like he's like, I don't know, what about me though? I mean it's anyway. been a couple decades. She's probably changed. Or not. Who knows? <laughs> Honestly, we don't know. Um so Serafina turns to the nightingale demon asking what her name is, and she's like, I don't know. I was just bored moments like after being torn from Will. I didn't even know I existed. And Yo. Serafina's like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to call you Kerjava. It says, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it means, but you're going to find out soon. It's fine. It's fine. But for now, she tell has to tell them something else that's important.
0: And before we face that very sad, important thing, Kerjava, we've talked about it before, I think, but it, it means colorful, right? Colored, modeled, iridescent, multicolored. Mm. And I think we will talk more in the next two episodes, or the next two chapters, the last two chapters about that. For Fuck. sure. Fuck. Uh, Kerjava says no, and Serafina knows already that they know. The demons know. And we get this horrible, this is, this is the most terrible back and forth in a passage. I really get, it hurts me. I'm in pain. We don't want to hear it, said Pana Layman. It's too soon, said the Nightingale. It's much too soon. Serafina was silent because she agreed with them. And she felt sorrowful. It's much too soon. It's much too soon. It's not fair.
1: It's really it's really unfair, like a rainstorm in, or an earthquake that I made you. Or an reverse. earthquake. <laughs> I was like, please this. <gasps>
0: well, I've stuck Ugh. it out, and here I am. And you know, there's something really sweet in that. Seraphina knows they're trying to like avoid the topic so they start changing the topic which is a very kid thing to do right like toddlers or like younger kids saying like no I don't want to do the thing I'm supposed to do so instead I'm gonna make up and lie and tell you stories and it's not unlike what Lyra would do right and she says where did you go on your travels and they told her many windows stepping through many many worlds and they also they saw what was happening. They met others. They met an angel. Ooh, maybe it was Balthamos. Mm. Maybe. (gasps) Ah. There you go. What if the demons met Balthamos? I think they might have. Unless it was Zephania. Did they say... Yeah, I think they might have said it was Zephania in the... I don't know. Maybe It could be Zephania. could be Balthamos. We'll find out, hopefully. They even visited the world the Galavespians come from, with the big people who try to kill them. And she lets them talk because of the love each of the other had for the other's voice... And eventually, they run out of things, falling silent. Serafina fills the silence and says, Stop punishing Will and Lyra. Kaiza did the same to me when we went through our ritual. But we love each other still, and eventually Kaiza came back.
1: (sighs) The whole thing's so painful. Like you said, they keep talking. It's childish, but it's understandable. It reminds me again of something you brought up last chapter or the chapter before of uh, Scheherazade and the Thousand and One Nights they're trying to do that right they're trying to tell all these stories to make time stop
0: time keeps ticking keeps on changing
1: (sighs) life's fucked up Um, we have this line of and they will need you soon to help them do what has to be done next Because you have to tell them what you know." Pentalemon cried aloud, a pure, cold owl cry, a sound never heard in that world before. In nests and burrows for a long way around, and wherever any small night creature was hunting or grazing or scavenging, a new and unforgettable fear came into being.
0: Never heard before in that world, it just strikes it home even worse, this is horrible. They have no owls. <laughs> they should. They should get some. Lyra should be the owl.
1: <laughs> this is fucked up. This is fucked okay. up, Phil. Seraphina watches Will's demon, remembering once of his fury, to Ruta Scotty, and sees the brown borb filled with an implacable ferocity, and Pintelimon screams then die away, and Krajava confirms that they have to tell them and we have a line of gradually the ferocity left the gaze of the little brown bird, and Seraphina could look at her again. She saw a desolate sadness in its place.
0: Philip Pullman, fight me. Meet me outside. Fight me outside outside. this podcast. (laughs) For the emotional turmoil you have put me and countless others through. You have to answer for these crimes. I'm in a lot of pain. I guess this is like maybe a penultimate demon corner. Wow! One of our last demon corners of the main OG trilogy of His Dark Materials. I want to talk about nightingales. Uh, I know Eliana's going to talk a little bit of the owl, and we've talked about the owls before. I feel they owls really are pretty wanna... straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> <sighs> they're 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 out there, you know who who they they hoo. do their thing. But nightingales, they're a little different, and this is the first time we've really gotten to spend some time with Kerjava. So that Kajava is in the form of a nightingale. Uh, I mean, in literature alone, right? They're romantic. They're a symbol of poetry, of the creative muse, and purity and virtue. Often their sound, their song is sorrowful sounding. So Homer and countless others have called it a sorrowful lament, like in the myth of Philomela and Procne, where she's mutilated by her sister's husband and is transformed into a nightingale after taking her revenge. There's this little metaphor in there that the female nightingale is mute in nature and only the male species sings so that's very interesting but here uh kind of bringing back some of what you were talking about too of orpheus today this is an orpheus podcast virgil actually compares orpheus's the mourning of orpheus to the lament of the nightingale Hmm. he sounds like a nightingale which For reasons referenced in previous discussion feelings, it feels about right for William, William Perry. But the reference that gets me the most here for Kajava being a nightingale is Ode to a Nightingale by John Keats, which you might remember from Chapter 28, Midnight. It was the poem at the front of the chapter. For many a time, I've been half in love with easeful death. In that episode, we talked a little bit about the tone of Ode to a Nightingale and how it's different than his earlier poems, exploring nature and mortality, something kind of that became important in his work at the end of his career. And I mean, the poem itself is about something being powerful enough to transcend consciousness, Hmm. right? Enough to, to not matter if you're alive or dead in another world and that finality of mortality that you can long to be in another world and you can abuse substances to get away from it, right? To put yourself into a state of being in another world, kind of a false state. He references that in the poem uh, to be dreamy and numb or you can go embrace life through all that, through the pain. Like having lived, having lost, having pain. It's less or more what Seraphina finds herself telling the demons they have to reveal, right? That nature must go on Above all other things, the death of youth, the death of love. Uh, And and there's this great, these great parts of stanzas from this poem. Fade far away, dissolve and quite forget. What thou among the leaves hast never known. The weariness, the fever and the fret. Here where men sit and hear each other groan. Where palsy shakes a few sad last gray hairs. Where youth grows pale and specter thin. And dies, where but to think is to be full of sorrow and leaden eyed despairs, where beauty cannot keep her lustrous eyes or new love pine at them beyond tomorrow. Very melancholy, but that fits, you know, Will with the sad brown eyes. Yeah.
1: This was hurtful. Sorry. That's all I have. This is hurtful and painful. And it just kept getting even more painful the more he went on. I'm sorry! (sighs) God!
0: The nightingale! Why did he do this? This hurts me. Oh no. Speaking
1: of things that are hurting, Pan, as you said, right? Pan's whale Uh. comes as he is an owl. And again, I feel like owls are pretty straightforward. I feel like everyone knows that fucking owls symbolize and that whale comes in this moment as Seraphina gives them that knowledge, that wisdom. Turns out the knowledge and the wisdom is painful.
0: It's like a gunshot of pain. Ugh, this ang- it, It's anguished, right? It's an anguished it whale. Like a very final whale because there's nothing that they can do as they know. And Pan's anguish is my anguish. And, and- Serafina closes it up. She's like, "Well, there's a ship of Egyptians that are coming. I left them to come find you guys. They'll be here in a couple days." And the birds sit closer. They change their forms. They become two doves.
1: Two. <gasps> birds. I feel like oh, that's God. pretty straightforward of what it is to everyone.
0: All you need is love, peace, Ba-ba-da-ba. marriage, love, mating for life. Shit. Fuck. Okay. Ugh. Serafina says this is probably the last time they'll fly. She saw a little ahead. They will be able to climb trees, but they won't be birds, so take it in and remember it. She says, you'll think painfully on this, but you'll make the best choice. Yeah, bitch! (laughs) The fuck? Serafina kind of reinforces what you said, Aliana. She says, it's yours to make and no one else's choice is important. They're not just the fated children, right? It's their choice, and they will make it. Which still feels kind of like fate and unfair, but we don't have to talk about that.
1: I mean, we will probably next chapter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Serafina flies off amidst starlight and even feeling dust on her skin in the atmosphere and seeks Mary Malone. She only knows that Mary comes from Will's world, but her part in all of this was crucial. She had to wake Mary without startling her. Uh, she's very polite. I've been like, girl, you gotta wake up. It's time <laughs> to get up. We gotta talk. Anyways, so Serafina sits uh, waiting for Mary to stir and like does this like breathing like exercise where she syncs with Mary's breathing and then enters her dream. And we have like, presently, her half vision began to show her the pale forms that Mary was seeing in her dreams. And she adjusted her mind to resonate with them as if she were tuning a string. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Then with a further effort, Serafina herself stepped in among them. And we know that Mary has had a vision before. Like I think last episode slash few chapters. Are these more visions than
0: Mary's having like she did before? Like is Mary something like a prophet really? It really seems like she's opened her mind to be perceptive to matter already. Mm. Right? And so this yeah. really is, it seems, Serafina entering her consciousness. So we even like she speaks to Mary and Serafina says, You're not gonna remember this in the morning. Like, when you see me, when you open your eyes to me soon, you're not even going to know this happened. So that's very interesting that she can walk in and out of someone's consciousness like this. Like, it's that episode of Spongebob Squarepants, right, where he enters <laughs> everyone's dreams. Oh my God. You know, the episode I'm talking
1: about? No, that's I what... don't. We should, find... We should oh. find it this weekend. I have Paramount
0: Plus right now. <laughs> and we're going to watch it. It's one of the we're funniest episodes, it. but he goes through everyone's dreams. Oh He's just God. causing trouble. And that's what Seraphine is doing. Uh... And she speaks to Mary, they walk among a silly landscape of reed beds and electrical transformers, which is interesting, (laughs) almost like the intersection, right, of consciousnesses. Like, these are several places that have been formed together in her dreams, which we see Philip kind of play with in certain areas of the story. So that's interesting. So, (laughs) Serafina, I I love this post-apocalyptic scenery, of course. And it also feels prominent in these two chapters molding like part of nature and the flow of nature to kind of the industrialism of the world of what's left post war. There's definitely something in there about that of Mary living within these two worlds right between the mountains Mm. and also between having to return to her world.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, she's grown quite fond of this world. She's like. She's been here for quite a while and become a very important part of their society and been accepted and and has contributed quite a bit. It's kind of funny, though, the electrical transformers, because it feels so out of place, right? When you think of the nature imagery, it really, again, Mm -hmm. highlights Mary's characterization.
0: Well, especially as we get her demon, right? That we learn is so very her, so very her and very a part of nature, which is her whole Her whole thing. That's her whole thing she's into. Mary finds Serafina in her room when she wakes, knowing she must be the witch. They introduce themselves to one another, and Serafina asks her to take a stroll in the moonlight while the children sleep under a tree. They sit on the riverbank, and Serafina tells her she spoke with the demons. Mary says the children looked for the demons today. and Will had never even known he had one. He had never seen his demon till today. Serafina's like, You have one too, Mary. And if you could see him, you'd see a black bird with red legs and a bright yellow beak. An alpine chow, a bird of the mountains. Seraphina says with her eyes half closed, she could actually see the demon right now. If they had time, she'd teach her to see them too.
1: So this bird is described as a bird of the mountains. And as we've learned recently, Mary loves hiking. She learned about it from a former lover, uh, and that was very crucial for her ability to climb the mountains, which is explicitly where the angels through the Yijing had told her that she needs to go where her fate lies. And, of course, when we first meet Mary, she's identified by a painting-slash-picture of a mountain on her door.
0: I guess they're, like, one of the rarest birds for Britain, too. Really? Like, there's only 300 pairs in Scotland, Wales, and the Isle of Man, huh. and now a cliff in England's southernmost county. And... Technically, they're a crow bird.
1: Oh, so interesting. you can see
0: Pullman loves this character by bestowing it his own somewhat demon, a special demon.
1: Yeah, and there's kind of like a witch-like quality, right? Like we've learned that Pan and Krajava probably won't be birds. There's a witch-like quality to that for Marion, as we've discussed. It's kind of like Joppery. She's kind of like Joppery too in a lot of ways. So,
0: yeah, honorary bird. I mean, yeah. honorary witch. Yeah, both of them. Serafina tells Mary what the demons have to do and what it means. Again, very carefully done by Pullman that he doesn't say it. We all yeah. you're he makes you he walks you to your own death. Like he makes Suspense. you insinuate you've read what the, all the characters have. You kind of know what this means, but he wants you to come to it and he wants you to accept it in your own terms. I do not. <sighs> <gasps> Serafina says she thought of waking them and telling them herself, of telling Mary and making her do it. But then she saw the demons and she knew that was the best way to tell them. They're in love, Mary says. I know, says Serafina. Ugh! <laughs> fucked up. Can you just run a sword through me? What the fuck? What the fuck is that thought- line?
1: Yeah, I can't believe she thought the demons were the best way. I'm like, were they?
0: I have some oh, thoughts that should, in the discussion, Serafina. for sure. I, I think yeah. that might be part of it. I do.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe the demons are the best way. I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Mary takes in the implications of what Seraphina told her, but she can't quite grasp it, which, like, same. And she asks Seraphina if she can see dust. And Seraphina's like, You know, I've never even heard about it until, like, these wars. So Mary just wordlessly, very, very cool, very casually, just takes out her spyglass and gives it over to Seraphina so that she can show her the dust. And Seraphina's like, It's beautiful. And then Mary's like, You gotta look over at that tree. And she's like, The children did this. And something changed, right? And. The children now saw each other differently, and the dust was attracted to them. And now it's safe, Seraphina says. At least it will be. Uh, when the angels fill the great pothole in the underworld, which... Pfft, oh potholes never get filled that fast please uh, uh the abyss and seraphine explains it to mary and says she met like a female angel flying old and young all together she's like it was so bizarre her name was zephania and mary is like that's literally you to me right now um and like zephania told seraphine <laughs> many things it's just like this chain right she learns about the history of human life a struggle of wisdom and stupidity literally the book says wisdom and stupidity (laughs) and of the rebellion of the angels from the authority and his churches and zephania had given seraphina numerous examples in her world of the authority oppressing the people and mary sees it in her own world immediately but they both also recognize that wisdom had to work in secret all this time and the battle isn't over yet right because the forces of the kingdom met a setback but they are regrouping which i'm like oh okay interesting interesting but also the battle is inside all of us that's what i learned from the ending of (laughs) uh, in the final like stars s or star s whatever chapters right we all have to fight darkness ourselves. Anyways, Mary asks what happened to Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter and they are gone forever having fought Metatron and to answer Mary on Mrs. Coulter fully Seraphina takes out an arrow very dramatic. It's like her bestest arrow and then she breaks it saying once in my world I saw that woman torturing a witch and I swore to myself that I would send that arrow into her throat. Now I shall never do that. She sacrificed herself with Lord Asriel to fight the angel and make the world safe for Lyra. They could not have done it alone, but together they did it. And this is completely unrelated, but uh, I don't know if Phil- Philip Holmes forgot it, or it just probably didn't mean anything, right? In book one, there was an explorer named Dr. Broken Arrow.
0: Oh. I don't. It. I forgot about him. Didn't he, like, map something? He mapped, like, north something. He did something pretty cool, and Lyra was, like, very impressed. I want to say he mapped the currents of the, the Northern Ocean.
1: Yeah, oh, he mapped the
0: great currents of the Northern Ocean. Yes. Mm. It is interesting, though, bringing up the concept of the broken arrow, because it actually represents, like, a broken arrow breaking an arrow doesn't... You'd you think it seems like it could be kind of dangerous, right? Like, she seems like she could uh-huh. be angry if she broke it. It means burying the hatchet, though. It means yeah. putting aside a quarrel for the greater good, whether it's that something makes like sense. external. Um, yeah, so breaking an arrow symbolizes that you are putting aside the hatchet. And I find that, especially from Serafina, I find that interesting in this context of, like, you know, this woman was horrible. She was a child trafficker and abuser. But, you know. And murderer. <laughs> <A> murderer.
1: <laughs> Don't forget the murderer.
0: Part Sorry. <laughs> you know, I like to leave that off or <gasps> uh, Yeah. yeah. It,
1: it's funny. Um I didn't know that about what the broken arrow represented. Yeah. You can kind of get it from her words, right? She's a little like myth, but she's like, Alright, respect, but also like fuck that yeah. bitch, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, Mary asks, How in the world they'll tell Lyra? And Seraphina says I will just we'll just wait until Lyra asks and she might not ever ask and also she has her ltheometer that could just tell her too. We don't have to be the ones to tell her. And I'm just um um
0: Yeah, it's not the best choice. I mean, it's hard doing things that you don't want to do, but maybe you should practice what you preach.
1: She just has very much committed. She's like, I'm not going to tell them any. I'm not responsible for telling them any.
0: She's like, I had a really bad heartache already I have to deliver to them, and I already just barely made it out of that one, so.
1: Yeah, she's like, I did my parts in
0: books one and two, so. A, a half of a heartache is enough to deliver to these children. Yeah. Thanks. Um. Uh, they start to talk about what's going to happen after. Right, Mary is maybe going to return to her world, but she's been so happy here. And Serafina says, I'll be your sister as long as you live. Uh, a sister in another world, right? If she returns home, and that they'll see each other once more in a couple days when the ship arrives. They'll talk again, and then they'll part forever. Embrace me now, sister, says Serafina. And they do. She flies away on her cloud pine. How special. Again, with all of the emphasis on flight too and that within mm-hmm. mary there's a bird wanting to fly that is that's very special bird. Okay. she'll only fly away uh and, and mm-hmm. first of all this is probably basically just a scene of me and you right mm-hmm. talking about our children and how magical they are this is literally just imagine us two yeah me yeah, on the yeah. cloud pine you with the amber spyglass i mean that's us that's absolutely us Interesting. Uh, am i wrong is it because of my glasses <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nerd. <laughs> I'm lo- Chloe, look through my
1: glasses. Is everything s- weird for
0: you? <laughs> stuff you in a locker. Oh, uh, and then fly off of my cloud pine. Mm. <laughs> this got sexy. Uh, having yeah. both of these two on a page together is great because they've kind of held their own pillar in the story, right? Aside, kind of secondary plot characters that still can hold a chapter, have their own POV, keep interest, and both of them sharing this wisdom of having loved and lost and knowing it's both. Horrific, but also cyclical, right? Like this is unavoidable. this is like part of nature, and it only gets easier with time. Uh, these two women for just a moment are even part of one another. as sexy, weird as that sounds. Speaking of sexy, Seraphina can literally step into Mary's consciousness, very sexy, and then step hmm. lightly out. Uh, and it's also exemplary of the entire chapter, right? In contrast to Will and Lyra meeting. And the pain at the idea of them maybe having to change their relationship, it's almost emblematic of the process of severing a bond with another soul. And the opposite is happening here for Mary and Serafina, right? Like they have, they are meeting, they have fallen in love with one another as he, as like people. They're like, wow, I love your brain. I respect you. Wow. I love your brain. I respect you. And now they have to part. And it's like just a miniature, very sad landscape, but they're old and they've done it before
1: yeah yeah it does get easier <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it does get easier the older you get right being like hey this was like an awesome connection we had um that was cool that was cool great times and then just being comfortable with letting moving you on i feel like Seraphina obviously has done that a lot in her, a lot in her life mary clearly seems to right like mary clearly seems comfortable with that based on the stories of romances mm-hmm. she's had um which is you know a very long-term relationship with someone um and I do think it's kind of funny that Seraphina's like, "Yeah, I'll be your sister for as long as you live." I'm like, "That's a much
0: smaller commitment on your part, Seraphina, than it is on Mary's." <laughs> but maybe that's all she can offer. You know, I mean, you look at her and Quorum's relationship. Yeah, that's true. She knows that's all she can offer. Yeah, let's talk about the best part of the chapter where <laughs> Gomez gets <laughs> eaten by the lizard. Actually, it is, like, you're right, that is what it is. It's like Nega in Yorick, you know? Like, there's no niceness happening here. That's
1: true. So, the text tells us that, At about the same time, one of the large blue lizards came across the body of Father Gomez. Will and Lyra had returned to the village that afternoon by a different route, and they hadn't seen it. The priest lay undisturbed where Balthamos had laid him. The lizards were scavengers, but they were mild and harmless creatures, and by an ancient understanding with the Malefa, they were entitled to take any creature left dead after dark. The lizard dragged the priest's body back to her nest, and her children feasted very well. As for the rifle, it lay in the grass where Father Gomez had laid it down, quietly turning to rust. War is over for now. <laughs> for now. I had a random thought reading this paragraph. I was like, because of that thing about the ancient understanding with the malefa and being entitled to take any creature left after dark, is the lizard also sentient, right? Like, we're told the Tuolapi might be a little bit, right? They're agents of the authority somehow, but they're not quite sentient. But I don't hmm. know. Anyway... So, like, if they have an understanding, are the lizards also, like, humans, right? Are we going to see lizard people also, like, in the underworld with all the different kinds of humans?
0: I mean, maybe all animals are. Like, humans. They all have their own little ecosystems. (laughs) I don't know. And, I mean, I actually, I was kind of kidding, but this is really, like, Lee and Yorick, right? Because you have the, the rifle rusting in the ground, just like Lee's body. And the r- I took that the seriously rifle. when you yeah. said that. I took that seriously. Thank you. Okay, good. Well, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that is, the rifle especially is just like, mm-hmm. oh, the rifle is there. And, and, yeah, of a way that's dying. Not just Gomez, but his way, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we see lizards in the underworld someday. There must be, there must be, like, a world somewhere with, like. No spoilers, Book of Dust, but they haven't shown up yet. <laughs> i watch watched Super Mario Brothers, the live action movie, and I know that world exists. Oh my god. I've seen Multiverse of Madness. No, I haven't. <laughs> waiting till it comes That out was my Plus. Multiverse of Madness, the Super Mario oh Brothers god. movie. <laughs> oh, Eliana. Anyway. Well, we don't want to spoil anything from the Books of Dust in this part of the episode, but we do want to transition into that part. So. Thank you for listening to these two chapters. These are the penultimate chapters. This is the penultimate episode for Girls Gone Canon reading His Dark Materials, the original trilogy. Right now, the Amber Spyglass. We'll be back with Haley Bowery of the Manimals to finish out the Amber Spyglass next month at the end of the month. And I'm sure we'll have some updates on what's to come then. I'm just I'm just
1: astounded. I never We've thought we would like it. get to a point in, like where we finish the series not like that I thought we, it's just like I can't believe time has passed so much yep. time.
0: Well now I know Eliana doesn't believe in me. Uh, that's not That's what, what I, I, I heard. <laughs> that is uh, everything I, just, I heard. In that I sentence. I believed in the authors that we read more
1: than I, <laughs> 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 well, I we're, we're due um, for anyways. another. We're due
0: for another. So,
1: yes. Um Discussion. It's gonna start now. I assume you've had enough time. Alright, everyone. Sorry if you like ran and didn't
0: make it in time to like pause your shit. But it's time Let's to go. get a little dusty. And we're very dusty today. And the biggest thing we need to talk about is the absolute betrayal, betrayal of Serafina Pecola. Okay, so this chapter was pretty pointed that Serafina was like, she's gonna have me as her sister. And she's gonna have a lot of people that support her. We know, as we get into Lyra in <laughs> Secret Commonwealth, Serafina really didn't seek Lyra out and didn't act super sisterly. And it kind of makes me wonder if Serafina feels immense guilt for having been the one to kind of ruin Lyra's <laughs> life with the truth, right? And also cause the rift between Pan and Lyra, because it doesn't get better. Like, she tells them, like, it's gonna get better. Me and Kaisa, we're great. We see each other once a week, maybe. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, and maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Maybe that's just part of it. But the rift between them does not get better. It's like kind of fucked
1: up, right? Like when I learned that Seraphina hadn't seen Lyra, even like in Serpentine, right? When she she like goes to the north, right, seeking some guidance, and like Seraphina, where the fuck are you? And I do wonder about it. Like I'm like, where was she? And I think we'll get an answer probably. But like. In this chapter, she talks about how the forces of heaven after this setback are going to regroup. Me and my charitable view, I'm like, maybe that's what she's been focused on, right? Maybe she's, like, mm-hmm. fighting that and that's why she's not here. But also, the other part of me is, like, I mean, I think Seraphina is acting very sisterly to Lyra, right? Uh, She's acting exactly like the rest of Lyra's biological family in by that I mean abandoning her. Oh my God! What, uh, what is the most familial thing that Seraphina can do for Lyra if not abandon her?
0: She's sitting there like, "Ooh, Lyra got this much attention over twenty years. I, an old person, will come back in twenty <laughs> years. That might be it too. I mean, for her in her yeah. mind, being a sister is different because she's lived for so long. Uh, I mean, in in ratio, like us humans live measly lives compared to her." And that's why she had to pull back from quorum, And I don't know, the parallels, uh, I won't talk about it this week. I'll talk about it next month. When we finish the story, because then we could be spoilery about the main series. The parallels between... Corum and Serafina and Will and yeah. Lyra are glaring yeah. now And this reread. Like, one of the things that I've noticed the most are those parallels and that she's withholding so much because of what she suffered in the same way with her and Corum. Like, well, you'll learn unfortunately and I have to let you learn. I can't just do it for you. And I do think I think there's guilt there. I really do. Like, rereading this, yeah. that this is so pressed on that she's like, I'll be there for her. Don't you worry. I think there is guilt because, like, I mean, the emotion. Next month, it's good. It's rough, dude. It comes over like he tells you, he leads you to the slaughter, and then he puts your fucking head on the block in the last two chapters, and he chops it off. Like I knew that they couldn't be together. I knew because they told us in these chapters that they can't stay in the same world. I knew. Thirteen-year-old me didn't know. (laughs) Thirteen-year-old me didn't know. He told me, Eliana, he told me in these two chapters, and then literally I turn to the next two chapters, and it's like, I go brain dead, and I sit there like, what? Yeah. Oh my god, what? It's horrifying. And maybe that shocked Serafina too, because it is horrifying.
1: I wonder if it's like, she does, as you said, right, she does know, and that's compounded with the time, like, you know, the, the the this traumatic thing happens with Lyra and Pan, and Surfing is just, like, not there to guide it, and there's a part of me that kind of feels of her telling Pam, like, I don't know, me and Kaiza went through this, like, painful thing, and you're gonna do it too, right? Kind of like that old generation way of, like, mm-hmm. I had to walk up to hill both ways to get to school, and you're gonna fucking deal with it, right? Is it... <laughs> it's almost like maybe kind of like that only I don't think I would have felt that way had I not seen its ramifications in the secret commonwealth which I think in my opinion I know some people like for them that's very difficult that's actually one of the strongest parts of the secret commonwealth to me
0: yeah I think it's so resonant like it really I mean it hurts it fucking hurts you're like wow that's so real I too hate myself as an adult (laughs) <laughs> Especially you know, yeah, I mean, like at that time, you're. It's a hard. It's a hard time as you're well as alone. this time. Alone, alone. You're alone.
1: Dude. You're trying to like adjust into like not just adolescence, but now you're going from that into adulthood. There's like expectations. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to fucking have it together, and you're like, I don't know. I'm, I'm 20. I'm 21. I don't have it together. And like, um, one last thing, you know, in regards to that pain and knowing that she caused him that pain, Pan makes that wail. If I'm not mistaken, in the next chapter or so, when Lyra finds out the same news,
0: she also lets out a huge wail. Oh, my daughter. How could you? Uh, there's also, I mean, logically speaking, we're going to get an answer because we haven't seen her yet. She's been mentioned in the books at dust. We have not seen her yet. Yeah, and So he's not, she's not forgot. She's coming back. There's no way he's not pulling Seraphina Pecola back in in the third Book of Dust. And maybe this will flow into that. There's a quote that really struck me, this chapter, uh, when she is getting into Mary's consciousness and, like, just stepping on in. Mm -hmm. She adjusted her mind to resonate with them as if she were tuning a string. Yes. That stood out hella hard. Uh, It reminds me of a couple things. First of all, the lodestone resonators from the Galavespians, they tuned the string to get the message across to other worlds. So she's able to enter people's consciousness and the idea that consciousness exists across like all worlds, right? We had Mary's Mm -hmm. consciousness showing two different worlds basically conjoining. So if your consciousness can be accessed anywhere, right? Your consciousness exists like in atoms, in matter. It doesn't exist in a place. It's not a place, a physical, tangible place. Serafina was able to just see her dreams and enter them there. Yes, they were in the same world, but the way she got in there sounded a lot like negative capability. And it reminds me of the way that they're reading the theometer in the secret commonwealth, the new way to read the alethiometer that makes you sick to your stomach, but yeah. gave the Raylo moment, right? The Kylo Ren <laughs> Ray moment between Lyra and Olivier Bonvi. So that reminds me so much of that way of reading the alethiometer and makes me think that that's going to come right back up. And that there's some sort of way that if you are on, and and maybe this is like a love thing too, right? Like you think of Will and Lyra and how much they understand and love one another and understand Mm. what the other's been through, that they're just in sync. Like me and you, we're just in sync. You know, we're on the same page. Sometimes we really are though. Yeah. We finish each other's sandwiches. Um, Yeah. We do. (laughs) That's part of it though, right? Like she's able to see the same wavelength and, via matter her and Olivier Bonvie like see into each other's minds and where the other yeah. is that's got to come back I'm sorry that's gonna come back into play and Will that can feels... do it too Will can do it too Will can he do it can. with a subtle knife he can't well because he can feel things
1: which is mm-hmm. really interesting and uh, yeah I think that's that's interesting um I was actually thinking uh when you were talking about that resonance absolutely I, I that does feel like it has ramifications for the systems introduced in the Secret Commonwealth. But I was also thinking, like, there's this there's this idea behind it too of like if she can resonate for that, right, in the way that you're talking about, Will the Letheometer getting into new worlds, speaks to this idea of like each of us, we all have a little world inside of us. My God, Do we just have to we just have to learn how to. I mean, that's kind of I think what to an extent, but the yeah. Letheometer, right? And you were talking about them seeing each other. The sort of empathy, right? Learning to see one another and understand one another.
0: Well, and there's also, like, that the knowledge always existed within them. It's just the alethiometer is a way to channel it elsewhere. You know, like, you're reading the symbols. You're interpreting the symbols. It's like in A Song of Ice and Fire, Melisandre gets her visions via fire, but she's interpreting them. There's no one answer. And there is no one answer to life, right? Like, that's the other part of it for Lyra. Well, there's no one way to read the alethiometer as Lyra learns, as she has to relearn it.
1: Yeah. And and that's the choice, right? There's no one way Mm -hmm. to do life. It's a series of choices. Mm -hmm. My Um, God. And the choice will be theirs. And Mm.
0: the choice will be ours if we return to this podcast for the last episode.
1: Oh, my God. Podcast is canceled. That's a thought. That's a thought. We never. Finish I, I it. do sometimes watch shows up to it. Where I'm like, this is a nice happy moment. Let's <laughs> You're stop. You're weirdo. No, You're
0: I'm not. That's like Goddamn I think. Weirdo. I think
1: that's normal. I'm like, this is good. What? This is a good ending.
0: You think it's normal to watch an entire show to put your hard work into it and get to the very last show, the last episode of it, and stop watching? Right at the climax. No. Right, right understanding at understanding what it's about. Where
1: it seems like right at a place where it seems like this is a perfect happy ending and i feel and i can sense i can sense something's gonna break my heart this happened to me with the korean drama coffee prince
0: okay well, <sighs> let me put barney on for you real quick since you like happy endings so much you uh, fucking toddler we were,
1: we were talking we were talking about how i met your mother at brunch discord this past this past whatever and also i bring up veronica mars veronica Mars. Veronica Mars the movie is a perfect ending point. If you have not watched the final season that takes place many years later, just stop at the movie and that's it. That's it. There's that's a difference the between bad
0: ending. writing and ending the story so that it gives it a happy ending, Eliana.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. I don't think the Veronica Mars like ending was written poorly. I think it like that one. I don't think was done poorly. It was just like I didn't need that at that time. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the middle of the pandemic. I was like, I did not fucking need this.
0: <laughs> Well, I don't need this, either. I don't need chapters... You actually
1: probably don't. 37 and um, 38,
0: but I'm gonna do them anyway. You do and you
1: don't. I don't know. You know? Uh, Pharmacod.
0: Thanks for joining us, everyone. We will talk to you next month when we finish up the Amber Spyglass. For now. That's wild. For now. Where can they find us online, Eliana?
1: I don't know, fucking everywhere. (laughs) You can find us on uh, You can definitely find us on social media at Cannon, C-A-N-O-N or you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com
0: Hey, subscribe to us on a podcast platform near you. If it has the review option and you give us a review, double high five. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Whether it is Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Acast Stitcher, Pandora, audible amazon you name it we're at all of them
1: yes and of course you can always find this on patreon where we have these episodes and more and this month for patrons in the five dollar tier and above the stranger tier and above you will get bonus his dark materials content through the imagination chamber bonus episode
0: step on board and imagine <laughs> imagine <book>.
1: that imagine you're <laughs> that imagine the
0: novella <gasps> with us oh my
1: god <laughs> And of course, like, we've already done it this month, but every month for the Thunder tier and above, $10 tier and above, we do have our brunch, uh, happy hour slash brunch on Discord. And also, as we said, we are doing a season two rewatch, hosted! We are not doing it. Our patrons are doing a season two rewatch. They've done a wonderful job hosting, spearheading. It's been a lot of fun, and they're almost done. That's... Like every Saturday for now, for the next two
0: Saturdays. The next two Saturdays until we're done. I can't wait to listen in this weekend. As always, you've been one of our hosts.
1: (laughs) I've been one of our hosts. As always, I've been one of our hosts, Eliana.
0: And I have been another one of your hosts, Chloe. And we'll be back, reluctantly, next month.
1: I was like, should I put in like an owl whale now? But I was like, I don't think anyone wants me to yell at like this time my, in my apartment. <laughs> Nothing that'll wake you know all the all the creatures in their small burrows, and by that I mean the rats.
0: My God, in <laughs> in
1: front of my house <laughs> or not house apartment whatever.
0: You should be more worried about the rat living <laughs> in your house. It's you. I'm gonna summon the rats. <laughs> uh, summon the rats. Goodbye. Bye.